So I think, you know, it's interesting to me to find out how people meet in life, number one. And number two, how'd they get there, right? So I'm here with my friend, Doug. Doug and I have known each other like uh, 10 years, I think almost pretty close. I was just finishing up brand consulting, had this new house, and was getting into plants. In particular, I was like, wow, my in-laws are coming. I need to do something in the front of my house so my in-laws don't think I'm a complete loser, right? Which doesn't change, by the way. They're still not that fond of me, even though I've now got all these plants. And in fact, my father-in-law once came to my house after I planted 300 rare, awesome trees in the winter and said to me, minding that I have a Bermuda grass lawn, primarily the scourge of my existence. Hey, Steve, what's with all this dead grass? <laughs> that's what the man said to me, Doug. So anyways, that's where I was at in life, right? I was like, okay, I'm getting into plants. I'd already done a, started the vegetable garden thing and Japanese maples were on the radar. I'd gone, I think to, uh, want to say it was Home Depot, no plugs for Home Depot at the moment, maybe in the future. And I was like, these are sort of cool. And they were pricey, you know, by no one knowing about plant standards, you walk in there and there's this Japanese maple, it's like 130 bucks. And you're like, oh, big money big money. So I was getting into it. Google was a thing for me, not for everybody at the time, but for me, it was big into it. And uh, there was a message board that is still sadly, like it's around, but not like it was. It was the University of British Columbia had about Japanese maples. And it was like a place at that time in like 2008, we're talking essentially, maybe the end of 2007, People would get together. This was the thing, kids. If, you were, if you're under a certain age right now, message boards <laughs> to you are like, what's a message board? Despite the fact it was only 10 years ago. Um, so that's where Doug and I, I, I saw there was this other person, said Tennessee. And I was like, I'm in Tennessee. <laughs> you're in Tennessee. Let's talk Japanese maples. So that leads me to Doug. The question I don't think I've ever asked you about this is, how did you get to the UBC message forum of, of 2008, Doug? How did it happen? Well, I think, you know, you kind of have to rewind the tape just a little bit to, uh, you know, how did I get interested at all yeah. in, in Maples? And um, I built a house here in, in uh, Dixon. It's uh, up on a hill. Yeah. Um, it had lots and lots of trees. And when I first built the house, I had very minimal landscaping. Mm. Um, I kind of wanted to go for the woodland look. I didn't really want to do a lot of landscaping. So I had uh, a grass area and I had a couple little beds out front and that was about it. And then about 2000, I I added on to the house. Mm. Uh, So... Started out kind of as a small house. Did you have house. in-laws coming over, Doug? Or no, relatives? I didn't have any. No relatives no, were coming no, over. No, there was no peer pressure. That. No, I, I <laughs> no peer pressure. Problem. No, I didn't have any pressure like that. But um, I I added on to the house. And when I added on to the house, uh, I had to landscape yeah. over and, you know, around the new part of the house. And it's it's not like I wasn't into plants. I'd always liked plants. But uh, I had never really... Um, uh, gotten into them like I wound up getting into Japanese maples and conifers, but when I when I added onto the house, um, I had next door neighbors. They had like uh, several older teenage boys, mm. and um, I thought, you know, I'm going to take advantage of some of this labor. You know, yeah. and they were uh, always looking for odd jobs, 
And so the oldest one, um, I got with him and I said, you know, I really want, I think I want to do something cool uh, in front of this new addition. And we kind of came up with this idea of putting in a little pond and, you know, some, some landscaping to kind of complement that. And I had always seen uh, pictures of Japanese maples by ponds. Where's your like first that. time you remember it? Like, when was that time? Because you and I have talked about this. There, and now it's, it's totally Google thing. But when, when's that first photo you can remember? What was it online that you saw it? Or was it like in a magazine? No, or it was in a magazine. Okay. Yeah. yeah and there then, was a thing, by the way, again, for you younger folks, there was a thing called magazines. They were made of this thing called paper. And paper would be bound together, sometimes by staples, which is a whole other antiquated thing, sometimes by glue. And it would have pictures on the paper of things, many of them you could buy. And there were actually things about gardening and landscaping and home interior and exterior in these things called magazines. Do you remember what magazine it was? I really don't. Yeah. But uh, but it was probably something like Southern Living, yep. you know, something like that. Um, so I'd always kind of equated. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I hated weeping willows. That mm. was just it was a tree that I didn't like. And we, you should too, by the way, people. Doug and I may talk about this later, but you still should. It's not yeah. a. This is the, a weeping willow is the kind of tree you plant if you hate the people that are next going to live on your property because yeah. they will inherit all of the problems that an old weeping willow tree gets. Yeah, and in, in the neighborhood where where I grew up, there were uh, people on the corner lot that had this weeping willow, and and it was just so ratty looking mm -hmm. and. It would get storm damage really easily. The branches would die. And I just never liked them. I just thought they were kind of crazy. And try mowing under one. Yeah. You know, it was kind of crazy. So uh, I, I knew I didn't want a weeping willow, you know. And I had considered like maybe a weeping cherry, you know, because I'd seen seen some of those around. But then I, I happened to see a weeping cherry that was a little older. Mm. And oh, my gosh, it was just like kind of disgusting mm. with this kind of a uh, really oddly thick trunk and, you know, it's gotten some diseases in the top. So it kind of turned me off to the weeping cherry idea. So, uh, you know, I went with the weeping uh, Japanese maple yeah. and it was a, um, a crimson queen, actually, Japanese maple. Yeah. So the, uh, the neighbor kid, you know, we uh, found something at a nursery that I liked and we put in the pond and and uh, put in some other, uh, I think, Japanese hollies and a few things like that, rhododendrons. I'd always like rhododendrons and things like that. And that was it. You know, that was kind of my, my big project, you know, my maple project. Yeah. And then I think the, you know, several year pa years passed between uh, 2000 and when we met. But I, uh, the, the next part I remember very distinctly, and, and it was in a, in a Southern Living magazine, and they had a whole article on Japanese mm. maples. And I remember seeing... Uh, you know, there's just something that I really liked about their look, that, that kind of layered look. And, uh, you know, I wanted to maybe get some more of those, you know, kind of in the back of my mm -hmm. mind. I was like, maybe I should get another Japanese maple. Um, no, at this time, did you know there were the hundreds of varieties? I had yet? no idea. Yeah. You know, the, the, that article in, in uh, Southern Living talked about several different varieties by name, you know, and I kind of took note of that. And uh, I really wanted, um, you know, good fall color because mm. uh, where I live up on the hill in the woods, there's lots of uh, oaks and hickories and things like that, but but not as many maples. And I really like that fiery 
maple color in the fall. And I wanted to make sure I got something like that. And and one of the things, uh, one of the uh, maples they showed in there was, um, uh, you know, a really had a really fiery uh, color to it. And uh, I thought, you know, that I'm, I'm, maybe I could uh, find a Japanese maple. So that kind of was in the back of my mind that I wanted something like that. And then I think the next time I saw something, it happened to be online. Yeah. And it was a, uh, a grower in Tennessee that had Japanese maples. And now, at, this was the place it was out in Memphis, like close to Memphis, yeah, West yeah, Tennessee. It was, yeah, it was, right? it was down, it was, it was uh, south, and I can't remember exactly where. But um, at this point in time, I had, uh, I'd kind of gotten just the landscaping bug, and I had decided that I wanted to do more than just, you know, be choked back in the woods here, you know, just surrounded by the, the native forest. Uh, it actually had gotten, you know, I've been in the house for, by that time, about 10 years, mm -hmm. you know, and it, it had gotten kind of dark and gloomy, mm -hmm. you know, with all these trees that they just keep growing, you know, trees just keep growing. And I kind of got on this kick that I wanted to clear things out. So I started clearing things out closer to the house. I cleared some things out, kind of going down the drive a little bit. And, uh, uh, and also I had, I had, uh, met, um, a guy at the local nursery here, the lo local garden center, uh, who's just a really nice guy. He was really helpful. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of, uh, started chatting about different ideas to do things. And, uh, uh, at some point in time, I just got this bug about having a stone wall or a fence. Now that I'd cleared things out, I, I needed something decorative. And originally, I was going to go like a split row fence. Yeah. But that kind of, that one, that idea went by the wayside when I saw all this stone yeah. that this guy had. Which is one of the funny things about Doug and I. Now, at this point, right, Doug and I have not met. We don't know each other nope. at all. We have no correlation of what nope. other, any of, of either's personality, what we're doing, any of that. There's something about the combination. And, and I don't know if this is like a Pacific Northwest envy kind of moment or whatever it is, but the stones and Japanese maples in conjunction, the look, either the softness from the maple mm -hmm. contoured with the literal earthiness of the stones, the age, it has this look. And of yeah. course, if I had a swipe up on Instagram right now, Doug, which I don't, if I did though, I'd tell people to swipe up to buy stones and Japanese maples together somewhere yeah. in the universe because <laughs> yeah. there is something you can't match there. And it has this ancient look to it. It does. It has, it has this, um, uh, kind of, you know, you just think of, uh, a mountain temple or something, you know, in Japan, no. Uh, it has this agelessness about it, even though I didn't want my garden to look like a Japanese garden, yeah. you know, but I just, I like the idea of it. So anyway, um, uh, this, this, uh, local nursery and they had started getting in lots and lots of stone. They'd already always had some, but they started getting in these huge boulders, uh, really neat decorative things that look like little miniature mountains almost yep. in the, in and of themselves. And they had uh, some stone walls there on their property that they had built just to kind of show off their hardscaping skills. And I started thinking, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, like this stone. I didn't really think I could do it or pay for it or anything. So I was talking to this guy about having this split row fence. And I thought, well, maybe I could just 
have a rock, a big rock, and then have like a split rope fence, you know, and uh, that would look good. So uh, I, f I found a rock that I really like. I just had to have. Okay. Um, and he brought it out and, and I was still kind of thinking about this split rail fence and, uh, I was bemoaning to him is like, you know, the, the stone is so cool. I'd really like to have a stone, but I just, you know, there's no way I could pay for that or anything. And he just looked at me and he said, well, why don't you just do it yourself? And I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, you could do it. He said, you know, just go online and, and, you know, look up. And I said, so I don't need to like hire a stonemason or something. He goes, no. He said, just just go online, find uh, you know some instructions about how to build a stone wall. And see, Doug was Doug was DIYing before Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, see, that's yeah. that's a new slash for everybody too, right? Yeah, people actually DIYed before things like Pinterest. It was really a thing. And what I have always admired about Doug, and we we share this in common, and you're going to really hear this in a, as we go in a couple of minutes. Doug and I don't tread lightly into a subject. <laughs> we don't go small, right? There's none of this like, oh, let me do a two foot stone wall. Let me try to see if I can, let's see if I can do a small area. No, we were like, we're going to do this. So, yeah. keep, so, so keep going. So yeah. we've, we've discovered the stone. We have inspiration yeah. for DIYing. And now yeah, we're, yeah. So, we're so, into it. so let me so let me go let me go to the original stone, the one that kind of touched it all off. So so this stone, it looks like a mountain peak, uh, and uh, it fortunately was shaped kind of square, mm -hmm. you know, on the sides that would be perfect to kind of have a, a a wall or a fence kind of butt up against. Um, and when they hauled it up here and they had to, you know, uh, use a, a giant backhoe to maneuver this thing because it was it was ginormous. But uh, it was uh, about nine feet tall, nine or ten feet tall, this stone. And they buried it several feet. And so it's about seven or eight feet now. But, you know, there's there's more of it underground that you can't see. Mm -hmm. So it was this huge stone, you know. And my first thought was, OK, well, I'll just put some cool plants around it. None of which were Japanese maples at the time, mm. but, but so I bought some little evergreens and things to put around it. Didn't satisfy me, mm. you know. So that, that then I had gotten onto this thing about maybe that split roll fence, and then, you know, my friend was like, "Why don't you just go for the stone? You know, go for the gusto." And I, you know, I just had never really ever considered doing that. And if uh, you you knew me, I'm not you know built like. Uh, you know, the rock, you know, literally uh, the rock. Yeah. I'm like, not built like, like that. I'm, I'm this kind of scrawny guy. And so the idea of me doing all this stonework is kind of laughable, you know, and I, I do uh, uh, work with computers. So I'm kind of like the nerd, mm -hmm. but here I am, I, I, you know, I got, uh, I got a load of, of stone, you know, they, they sell it in these big wire yeah. baskets that are attached to a pallet, you know, and they, they have to bring these big trucks up and dump it off. Uh, so I start out with these big pallets of stone, and I commandeered one of the neighbor's kids again. Mm. This one was at, he Doug's was actually back to grown. the free labor. Doug's back to the free labor. Yeah, Doug's like yeah. me with my daughter it wasn't now. Free. free labor. <laughs> it wasn't free. I did have to pay him, uh, but uh, but he was uh, out of work at the time. He, he was he was older. He was he was grown. He, he was married, and uh, but he just needed some work, and so. Uh, I found online this really cool video, and I still have it somewhere. Uh, and it was this uh, a guy from England, and he restored 
stone walls. And over in Europe, they have millions of stone walls everywhere. It was just everywhere. And first of all, they had a lot of stone. Uh, and second of all, uh, they had to build all these walls to keep all the sheep and the goats either in or out of these different yeah. areas, you know. So if you had a good garden, you wanted to keep them out. And if you, you know, had a regular pasture, you yeah. wanted to keep them in so that they didn't get in somebody else's garden. So is this, on YouTube? is this on YouTube, do you remember? Like, What's that? Is it on YouTube? No, I, no I, I can't remember where it was, but I found it online. Uh, it's about a 30-minute video or something. Okay. And he sh talks about these principles of building a stone wall, you know, leveling, you know, you kind of build it in, in each little layer and you have to level everything as you go. And uh, there's a batter, which is like the way the wall kind of leans yep. in towards or slopes in so that gravity is kind of your friend. And, yep. you know, the wall is just going to be there forever because these stone walls have been over there for hundreds of years. So now, I've for those of you that are not stone inclined, let me hit this point here, right? There's two things with stone. There's wet stack and dry stack. Okay? Yeah. Wet stack is you're using some kind of mortary something, right? Let's think of it that way. Then there's dry stack which is literally, like Doug is explaining, you're just using the shape of the stones, the layering of the stones to support each other, and the weight of them is essentially compressing them down to hold them in place, right? We're using gravity and weight to keep yeah. this thing there. And like Doug's saying is completely true. And in Tennessee, obviously, we have a particular stacking of stone that's got its own you know, debatable yeah. history. But throughout the world, like it was before mortar, this was the thing, like yeah. you dry stack stones and those walls would last literally hundreds of years like that. Hundreds of years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I watched the, I gave the, the, the next door neighbor the video too. He watched it and uh, we went out there and started building walls. You know? <laughs> and uh, we built three of them before it was all over, yeah. you know. And so now I had these gorgeous walls and... All these, I started getting even more stones. I just, I really got into stones first, really. Okay. And, and stones then just, were the gateway drug. They were the gateway, they were the gateway drug. drug. And, and then, then literally, um, you know, all these memories of the Japanese maple, see them in the catalogs. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, the guy at the nursery, he has some Japanese maples there, you know. Um, they were kind of expensive. Uh, but that kind of started me looking. I thought, well, you know, maybe I can find another source. And then online, yeah. I found this this source in Tennessee, Southern Tennessee, uh, mail order, and they had some, you know, gorgeous pictures yeah. of these maples. And uh, so I I ordered one, you know. So so let's let's also take this second, right? And I'm gonna get very snobby here on plants, people, because we know how I am. I'm snobby about my plants. Doug mentioned the cost, right? And this is one of the things, and I say this a lot in relationship to growing the flowers, that I see with a lot of the flower farms that are out there in the universe, because seeds are so cheap, it's a different thought process a right. little bit. You know, if you lose a row of something and they're all grown from seed, you know, big deal, whatevs, you know, but with the trees and specifically Japanese maples, these are pricey trees, peoples, Very you, you know, even small like they've only been grafted, you know, which means like sort of created, right? Won't get too technical on it right now, but can go for really rare ones in the crazy collector community. I've seen them go for a hundred, hundred and forty dollars. 
for like a really hard to find one, this little baby tree that all of you would laugh at if we paid $140 for it. Not that Doug and I have ever done this. Yes, Doug and I have both done this. <laughs> so you have to think of it that way. So to get into Japanese maples is not the same as saying, oh, I'm going to go get some wildflower seeds and throw them out no, there. No, <laughs> it's no. It's not going to be that. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I, I did, I found this online source and uh, I bought um, a tree called Osakazuki. And the reason I bought Osakazuki is because um, it was said to be the absolute reddest maple of all in the fall. The most brilliant red color of any maple. That was kind of the claim to fame. Um, and so I was kind of smitten with that. And I remembered, I remembered seeing that in one of these magazine articles, you know, specifically that name Osakazuki. And that's, this is kind of when I really started becoming aware that there were more than just a few different yeah. kinds of Japanese maples. You know, when I, when I went on that online site and started looking through, uh, you know, it was kind of hard to, you know, to pick and choose because, yeah. you know, th this was going to be a, a fairly major purchase. Yeah. And I wanted it to be, I didn't want to buy like a super tiny one. I, you know, the one I got was like five feet tall, yeah. you know? So it was a little pricey. Do you remember how much? Uh, I think it was like 120 bucks or yeah. something. Well, you know? and, and again, think about, uh, and for anybody that's, that's listening, right? We're talking $120 for a tree, right? Most of us don't equate plants in that way. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned at the beginning, right? You go to Home Depot, you see this Japanese maple, and it's 130 bucks sitting in this container. And you're like, whoa, this is expensive. Now, here's the thing, though, to sort of switch your paradigm on this a little bit. Those maples that we see, like at the Home Depot for $130, when you first enter into the category, you think that's the Mercedes of the tree world. <laughs> but in fact, the maple you're seeing at Home Depot is more like a Toyota Corolla, right? It's exactly. not exciting. It's, it's kind not of, anything. Kind of, a, kind of a generic uh, maple category. So, so um, you see the maple online, you pull the trigger on Osaka and then do you remember, I, 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 we, I don't know if we've talked about this in detail before, but those first mail order purchases, they're both exciting and anxious. Like, where oh, were yeah. you with it? Do you, I'm sure you probably remember, like, the, you've given these people your credit card information, you're hoping, you're waiting. What's your experience in between the, that placing the order and waiting for the tree? Well, I, you know, place the order. The, the, the tree comes in this relatively uh tight little tubular kind of box which was not exactly i you know, i didn't really know what to expect this is the first thing i'd ever bought like yeah. that you know anything big uh plant wise online and it was this kind of uh long skinny rectangular box and i thought my gosh you know and so i opened it up and, and they had folded all the limbs up you know and tied them all mm -hmm. off and kind of like they do a christmas tree when they you know yeah. put it on your car so uh, it was, it was uh, okay, it was good looking. It was a little spindlier than I had imagined it being, you know, but you kind of learn that, yeah, uh, you know, they're not gonna send you something that's really super calipered yes. over the mail. You know, uh, you know it's, it's gonna be a little bit thinner so that it can be uh, folded up and you know, not folded up, but just, you know, uh, so they can fit it in those boxes. Yeah. So, so where, where are we out on the timeline here? What year is this? Do this is probably maybe 2006 or 2000. Yeah, 2006-ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
just lean in yeah. a little bit closer okay. for me, Doctor. 2006. So, um, so, to, so to parallel this path, 2006 for me, I'm still vegetable gardening. That's that's my <laughs> vibe, right? I'm doing brand consulting. I'm working with small farms. So I'm like, I'm going to grow every heirloom tomato ever. And I grow like three or 400, right? So that's where I'm at. I just started to pay attention to the Japanese maples. So I think my first purchase of a Japanese maple is the fall of 2006. That's my first purchase. So you're in 2006. Well, do you remember when it was? Did you get it in spring or did you get it in fall or Sakazuki? Um, no, I got it in the spring. Okay. It was in the spring. Okay. And um, I had a, a, a rock. Another, it's all about the Another rocks. rock. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had my giant rock and then I had, this was a smaller rock. It was a little more horizontal. And I had picked that one out just because I had started thinking about, mm. I really want to do something that's kind of decorative looking that looks looks really nice and uh so yeah so i planted my osakazuki by my rock and um in my native soil mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. yeah and miraculously still there <laughs> it's still there now it has, it has been a kind of a slow grower because you know later on i learned a little bit more about how to to yes. grow these things and i'm up on a hill so uh i guess you know, let me just take a quick detour. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so where I'm at is on the Highland Rim, which uh, Nashville kind of sits in a basin. It's called the Central Basin. It's down low. Uh, and then when you go out of Nashville, in any direction you go, you're going to go up. Yep. And I'm west. And you kind of go up the, uh, uh, past the cliffs near um, Kingston Springs. And, and I'm way up on top of what they call Highland Rim. And then in addition to being on the Highland Rim, uh, which is ecologically a little different than the, the central basin. I'm also on top of a hill. Yeah. And uh, of course, when I bought the property and built my home, I, I wasn't really thinking of, no, where's the best place That's to grow, exactly, grow right? plants? You know? <laughs> which, which, which this is the other funny thing for Doug and I, right? So Doug and I know each other for these 10 years. We're always talking to each other on the phone, going to each other's place. And what's always been awesome, Doug's on a hill. I'm in the bottom of a valley slash glen. So we have completely different ecology, geology. Total 180 completely. from each other. Completely. Mine has a lot of mature hardwoods, lots of shade. No Here's, shade. Easy bake yeah. oven all Easy day long. Easy bake oven, full sun. Yeah, so completely different. His soil is, is all this uh, rich kind of floodplain soil. My soil is about a half of an inch yes. of maybe this nice looking stuff. And then it's just clay. Yes. And rocks. Down and more rocks it. and more clay. So we get so, we get our Sakazuki. We get a Sakazuki. Now I have to ask this question psychologically. Because I feel this is what gets us, right? I think this is the thing that you either go with and you have this moment or you don't, right? So you plant a Sakazuki, you step back, and you look at it. You gotta feel for me, I don't know if it's like I, I feel pleased with myself. Or if I just like the aesthetic and I just see that and I'm like, more, right? Just more, just mm -hmm. more. Whatever more is for me, whatever that psychological motivator is for me, when I see that doneness, I don't go, okay, good day. Now on to the next. I go, more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to describe, yeah. but there is kind of this, um, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, 
wow, that one looks really good, you know? And you have this kind of thought in your mind that it's only going to get better, too, because yes. this is a growing, living thing. So you've got the, it looks really good now, but you know, it's just going to keep looking better because it's going to get Which bigger. Which is probably the most underrated thing about trees specifically, but yeah. plants in, in general. And how many things in life do you buy that appreciate, that do get better? Yeah, they get better. They get better. So, so that was my undoing about that point in time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I went back to the catalog, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, uh, uh, I, I need some more. So I found uh, several more that I wanted. And I think I, the next time I bought two additional trees. Um, and, uh, you know, one of them was reticulate. And the other one was just a regular green. Um, same place you'd bought Osaka same place, from? Yeah, same place I bought okay. Osaka Zuki from. Uh, went back to them, bought, bought the big ones. And, uh, you know, of course, this is getting really expensive. Yeah. I just spent a bunch of money on all this <laughs> rock and labor to build all these walls. And, you know, so, yeah. So, I, you know, about this time, the, the financial reality of it starts mm. hitting me. It's like, Wow, I really, I re really like these trees. I'd like to have a few more, but I can't pay 120 bucks a pop. Yeah, you know we're, we're getting there on price. Yeah. And then, so, have you found the UBC forum yet? Like, are we there? That that, that was kind of like right, right about when okay. I found the UBC forum because by that time, I started getting the we call it getting the bug. You yeah, know, for sure, bitten by the bug. And I was like, wow, I really like these Japanese maples. I, I think I'm going to try to find some additional sources. You know, I like the fact that the guy that I was buying from was in Tennessee because mm -hmm. that just kind of made me, made me feel more confident. Give it a little bit of extra confidence. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, that guy's in Tennessee and he's growing this stuff and yeah. selling it, you know. So I should be able to grow it. Now, now let, let me fill in some color here for everybody. Okay. So Japanese maples and conifers on big scale farming where they're grown is all out in Oregon primarily. There's a couple of nurseries in Washington yeah. state, but like 92% of it is in Oregon. Yeah. And what's, you know, a little bit intimidating by that is number one, Oregon and Washington state, the Pacific Northwest has this really specific climate and ecology and geology that that's not very relatable to the rest of the country, honestly. So all the imagery you see for Japanese maples, most of it comes out of there. And the information about Japanese maples comes out of there. So when you go to pull the trigger on this, the euphemistic you, it's a bit of a leap of faith too. Yeah. Because, because you don't really have a lot of sources that are non-Pacific Northwest that you look at and go, oh, look, they did it. I can do it too. So like finding that one small nursery in Tennessee, like you're saying, is like it gave you just that little extra angel or devil on the shoulder like yeah go ahead mm -hmm. do it it's a good idea they did it you can do it too go for it go for it yeah and i think that's interesting you know and i think for everybody it's that what's that thing that sort of pushes you me yeah. i need nothing it's just a gentle breeze on a tuesday <laughs> right it's a gentle breeze on a tuesday do something okay um but i think for for everybody there's just that thing and for you it's sort of a little bit of that okay this could be done these yeah. people are over here in Tennessee. I'm in Tennessee. Okay. We have a relatable thing there. So you found the UBC forum. We, yeah. We've, so we've I got, found how UBC. many maples are we at now? We're at like four? 
Yeah, I had about four. Okay. Yeah, but I had about four. By the way, the story is going to end with three digits. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. Three digits. It's going to be in the high three digits. Like it may be half of a millennium. If you're counting by millenniums, okay? <laughs> you're you giving it away. That. You're giving it away. <laughs> you may be over that. But All right. so now we're at four. Yeah. So now we're at four. So um, so I, I had to find a, a cheaper source. I kept, you know, I had gotten my confidence. Yeah, that I can I can grow these things. People here can grow them. Um, but I don't want to spend $120 a tree on them. So started looking online. And, and also, you know, you start having some questions about it, you know? Um, you know, who else is growing these around here? Uh, are there any tricks or tips or things I need to know about, you know, that maybe i Do you I'm find that's interesting? Like there, there's a moment for me because I was, I was doing a workshop yesterday. I find that at the beginning, you, you do, you're more prone to thinking there are like tricks, like tips. Yeah, you, you know you what do. I'm saying? You yeah. think there's like secrets almost. Yeah. Like there's a hidden cabal of like plants people that have like the master knowledge and, and really as, as you go through it, what you find out is if you get really good fundamental basics that you sort of understand, it's really the same fundamental basics throughout the entire life of you doing it. You know, it's like, yeah, you pick up more information here and there, there's a lot of value and experience, but a lot of the fundamentals, like once you get there for everybody, when you get those fundamentals going to vary, obviously, but it doesn't change a lot. You know, we're, we're still doing like now that you sort of get to that place where you feel confident, you sort of just keep going through those things. You don't change. You don't go, oh, wow. You know, it turns out if you take eggshells and you grind them up and then you add red wine vinegar to them and you spray paint them on a, a jar of Mrs. P you know, Mrs. Pam no sp stick spray, uh, it'll make your trees grow better. It's like that's what at the beginning you think there is, right? You think there's some yeah. kind of magical yeah. alchemy to it. Yeah, exactly. There's like these... Uh like the the secrets of the ancients yes. that you have not been told about, yes. but you're going to dig it up somehow. So so you have questions about it. Um, you know, I had questions about pests and things. Yeah. And when I started doing some of this landscaping stuff, I had visited a nursery uh, uh, not too far from either of us that specialized in uh, native trees, mm. you know. And their big thing was, oh, yeah, the natives are, you know, climatized this area that would do good and, it's easy care, you know, you, you know, it's better for the environment, blah, blah, blah. I'd kind of been halfway swayed by that, mm -hmm. but but the Japanese maple thing was so powerful. It, it kind of sucked me out of that universe and right back over to can the we take, Can we take a second? Because Doug yeah. and I have talked about this before. And as, as everyone knows, I'm completely, because I'm at a career point where I just don't care any longer, as opinionated on subjects. And this is an opinionated subject that we probably just need to crunch, right? Go ahead. So this is something... Um, I don't know when I want to time date this, but I want to say it was maybe in the early 90s that you, if you go back and you look at like gardening, horticulture knowledge, it actually felt like it started maybe with like ornamental grasses, like native grasses mm -hmm. and landscapes and gardens. And here was the pitch, right? This was the sales pitch. Well, this plant is native to your area. So therefore, it will do better in your garden, which on face value, Hey, sounds pretty practical. It's a very yeah, sounds reasonable. Yeah, you, you wouldn't hear that and go, "Oh, that's crazy talk." Now, here's two things about this. Number one, how are we going to define something native? Right, many of the things that are being sold right now as native, uh, they've been here maybe a couple of hundred years. And in the history of the universe, uh, ask Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's about a half of an eyelash, you know, blink. <laughs> that's it. So, 
That's debate. Number two, have you ever looked at the natives sometimes? They don't look all that happy. A lot of times they don't look like they're the happiest of campers all the time. Because you know what also accompanies the natives a lot? Native bugs, native Native diseases, diseases. (laughs) you name it. It's native too. So again, it's not there's anything wrong with doing some cool natives. But here's the thing to me. And I think Doug and I both arrived at the same place. And everyone should, quite frankly. Like I'm telling you to. Like there's no debate on this. You shouldn't. If you're not doing what you love in your garden, your landscape, whatever terminology we want to put on it, you're doing the wrong thing. So if the plant that you love, the the thing that you find the most beautiful, that you love to grow, comes from the far corners of the moons of Saturn, go get it and buy it and put it in your garden. I agree with that. There's there's no need to, 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 again, grab a theology and a dogma where you're like, oh, I can't. They told me if I don't plant a native, it won't do well. Because first off, that's just BS. And we'll, we can cover that in, in the future and in other subjects. And, but the big thing is, like what, what Doug experienced, like that moment we talked about. You stepped back after you planted that Osakazuki. And that did something for you. Yeah, it was kind of this little magical something that happened to me. And if you planted, if you're someone who loves peonies, and you plant a peony, and you step back, and when that thing blooms in the spring, and that does that same thing for you, then you know what you should go do? Get a lot more peonies. Yeah, agree with that. And and uh, you know, and that's kind of what was happening to me when I you know kind of took a little detour and considered some of the native stuff because my whole property is filled with natives. Yes. You know everything. Everything <laughs> here is a native. <laughs> that's know? it, right? I don't need any more oaks. I don't need any more hickories. I don't need more dogwoods. You know, I've got all that stuff. You know, I really don't need any of that. And it was kind of, to be quite honest, it was kind of boring. Absolutely. It was boring. It was like, well, this stuff is, you know, growing all around. Uh, And, you know, up here on the rim, it's it's a pretty diverse ecosystem up here. I've got a lot of, you know, interesting shrubs and little flowering trees that, you know, service berries and things like that that people don't think about very much. But you see all this stuff and you think, well, I can just walk through my woods and see some of that stuff. I want something different in my garden and something that kind of speaks to my soul. And that was Japanese maples. So, yeah, so I was online. I, I was looking for cheaper stuff. I was looking for some answers. I came across the UBC forum. And, you know, as uh, somebody who has uh, been around for a little while, forums were normal. Yeah. That was kind of cool, you know, the, uh, a cool technology, a familiar, familiar technology. And I'd actually hosted some forums before earlier in my life on various subjects. And so, of course, it was natural for me to just dive right into that. Well, that was kind of my undoing. Because all of a sudden, I'm online (laughs) with a whole bunch of people that are maple crazy, way more than I'm even maple crazy at the point. I'm just barely starting. And And, and Doug and I have talked about this. You know, what's what's interesting, too, like just in the timeline of it. you know, we're before the 2008, end of eight, beginning of nine housing crisis, you know? So I think you, at that time, right? Like we're in 2006, 2007, we have a lot of people who have recently bought homes. Let's call recent at that time, maybe within the last five years. And I think people are looking to do stuff. And we're also new to everybody having, you know, a personal computer, you know, we're at that right. stage too, right? So right. everybody is, is and, and forums and message boards and things like that are a thing. 
And people are, are finding Google as a way to get into subjects. And it's almost felt like, we've talked about this, that that was sort of like the peak of it almost for mm-hmm. like the category mm-hmm. of like rare, interesting trees mm-hmm. that like 2007, eight was like, it felt like it was really vibrant with it a lot of like people. That. And now, you know, after we had the housing crisis, we've, you know, we moved on 10 years later, it doesn't seem as vibrant. So I have wondered, like re- like now, if, if Doug and Steve are doing this now, right? Like maybe it's not the same. Yeah. We'll never know, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> as great as social media is, right? As great as Facebook yeah. or Instagram or anything like that. It works differently. It does work differently. I think, I think at that point in time, just the, the nursery industry as a whole was more vibrant. Yes. And there was a lot more of your mom and pop, your independent type growers that uh, could easily sell their goods yeah. because the economy was booming, housing was booming, and people were kind of, I think, becoming more conscious of, of things. Yeah. You know, uh, when things are good, people, I think they, you know, they're, uh, they broaden their horizons and they, they look at different things. And it seemed like there were just a lot of people that were catching maple fever that were interested yeah. in it, that wanted to, to make their gardens look nicer. And, uh, you know, Japanese maples were highly regarded. So, uh, so, you know, that's kind of like, uh, um, you know, I just, it's kind of like falling into the black hole of, sure. of maple, uh, madness well, at, there. At, at this point, you're, at this point, you're aware clearly there are more cultivars, right? Because at first at, we start off with just Crimson oh, Queen. Oh. And now, and then we went to Sakazuki. When yeah. you find the UBC, is that like the real it, it, Pandora's box, essentially? It's, it's the Pandora's box. And, and, and all of a sudden, you start becoming aware of the hundreds of different kinds of yeah. Japanese maple cultivars out there. There's all kinds of subspecies. I had no idea that even existed that I hadn't even seen yet. Um, there were people who had massive gardens yeah. filled with these things, hundreds of them. And it just, uh, it just took off from there. So, so the first thing, uh, was, you know, I got sort of this enlarged vision of, of what the Japanese maple category really held. And then, uh, the other thing was I, I started making connections like crazy. Yeah. So it's like the Facebook of, of maples, you yeah. know, this little forum. And, uh, I started talking to people all over. Um, and I, I, I started getting information on on growers you know this is something also that when you come into it you're kind of like you don't really know who's good and who's bad oh for sure you know you might go to a website might look good and and you find out that you know they have crummy trees so here's this little group that's kind of vetted all this stuff for you you know they can say well you know uh, these are the growers that i like and and these people have lots of rare things and you're going to start and think well you know so what makes something really rare you know and what does that rare thing really look like and it just kind of kind of goes from there. It just explodes. So uh, I found uh, some vendors that you know online uh, mail order type uh, nurseries that would sell plants that were a lot cheaper than the ones I was buying. Yeah. Uh, now they were a lot smaller, but by this time I had you know from talking with people in this group, I had kind of learned that oh you can. You can start off small. You don't have to start off big. I mean, it's really fun to start off big, you know. Yeah. And by big, I mean 
five feet or or better. You know. Now, now let me pause, but, Doug, on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Doug knows where I'm going from. I know he was where just you're saying. going. Go ahead. Now, so here, Doug and I are at the about the exact same spot here. Like I'm, I'm into Maples. I'm going to these forums. And for me, my other issue here was, I will give a shout out to Ewitt's Nursery, who is local. Now, at the time I was going to Ewitt's, Ewitt's was mostly like a, um, Bill Ewitt owns Ewitt's Nursery and Landscape, does like big landscape installations for homes, mostly higher end homes. He was always big though and bringing in some really cool trees. He really was. So he yeah. brought in Japanese maples. He had a lot of cool evergreen conifers. Like it was a fun place if you just like to look at cool plants. So for me, I would see these plants online and I'd be like, whoa, that would be awesome. And then I would drive to Ewitts. Now, here was the thing about Ewitts at the time. And I love the family at Ewitts. But Ewitts was a bit of a thing you had to sort of maybe put gouaches on to go visit. And you sort of trekked through it. It was a little like picture yourself in a nature hike where there were expensive trees all around you to buy instead of yeah. the native trees. And, and we're not talking hundred dollar trees. Oh no. no. We're talking five hundred, a thousand. So yeah. there is a uh, a grower in the Pacific Northwest called Isley Nursery based in Oregon, right? They're right on Mount Hood. They're in boring Oregon. The people who own it are in fact a little boring. So it, it works, Doug. It, it works. The, <laughs> the the ownership and the the town they're in. So they uh I think it was them. I heard an argument one time that maybe it was another nursery that started it. But they would do this thing where they would get cedar boxes made, right? These big, think of it if um, your, you know, your loved one passed away and you needed a giant cedar box and this sort of rustic development built. They would put huge specimen Japanese maples. And when I say huge, we're talking 10 foot tall, 10 foot wide sometimes in yeah. these cedar boxes, like big. massive. And here's the catch though, right? They were wicked expensive. You would see them at $4,000, $5,000. I've seen them as high as $8,000. So here, here are Doug and I getting into this, right? Doug and I are, have both admitted the same thing, that a $120 tree at the beginning was like, say what? And now I just told you, there's $8,000 trees sitting in these cedar boxes. I mean, you talk about, I mean, your head wobbles yeah. for a second and you're like, what? But so Doug has decided and learned smartly, actually, that you can get a lot of maples, but younger at a price tag. Now, I've already mentioned I'm easily influenced by wind on Tuesday. So for me, I see Ewitts. Now, I found a loophole in yeah. Ewitts. Hey, there was a loophole. I don't know if Bill Hewitt knows this. Hopefully someone in his family will listen to this, Doug. And they'll go, we didn't even know that loophole existed. Here was the thing, though. So Hewitt's would bring in trees every year. Well, so they'd bring in a tree from 2005, let's say. And they'd price it at 2005. And at that time, let's call it, maybe it was four foot tall, maybe five. And the tree would be like 150 bucks, 175, maybe 200, something like that. But now the tree has sat there sometimes for three more years. It's now not five feet, maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight, and it's 150, 175 bucks. And for me, now seeing that there's Japanese maples that are $8,000 in cedar boxes, I'm like, Psh. if it's under 300, it's getting in the car. At the time, I had a Land yeah. Rover, and I remember thinking to myself, if I can fit it in the Land Rover and it's under $300, it's sold. 
Like yeah. that was my take. So I was I was starting off with trees that were primarily uh, between like 125 to like 350 bucks, I'd say. But it was really, if you're into thrifting, maybe that's a comparison, Doug. Like going to you, it was a little bit like you had to be like in that mindset. I'm going to go there. I'm going to spend three hours. I don't care how much mud I get on my shoes. I'm searching. I'm finding a tree today. And that's what I was doing. So Doug is Doug has decided he's going to be able to get a lot of different varieties from mail order nurseries. And I'm essentially using Ewitts to find like the hidden gems, the cost saving ones. So that's where we're at. So I'm doing that and Doug's getting small maples. And then at some point, and I, don't, I should have looked back. We could have looked back. We, we could have found have done the first that. post. We should have done that. We, should, we will do that. Retrospectively, I will do it. And at the intro of this, I will say it. And I'll put a link in the podcast to find it. Okay. Because I remembered... I just remember seeing Tennessee, right? Yeah. Like I don't even know if you had Dixon, Tennessee. Yeah, I think I, it was just Tennessee. Yeah, you have your little, you have your little um, ID, your yes. little username yes. that you use on the bulletin board, and you put where you're from, you know. And uh, yeah, so I had I had Tennessee in there, and or I had mentioned it uh, in, yeah. a, in in one of the threads. I can't remember which. Um, shows you how long it's been since I've yeah, been right. on it. <laughs> That's it. But uh, but yeah, I remember seeing Steve posting, and and I believe the first one that I saw where Steve was like, "Y'all, I went out and I got a bunch of trees. You yes. know, I think four, or five trees. Oh yeah. And he made this little path. Yes. You know, he yes. made this path in his backyard, and he put these Japanese maples along the path. And I was like. Whoa, those are huge yeah. in my eyes. They were huge Japanese maples, you know. Uh, and they and they would look, you know, yeah. they were well, good looking. And I they remember good. the other thing I had found was there was this uh what was the name of the place? Oh, I remember okay, I think it was something driver. There was another place that was over like by Smith Mill, Smithville, McMinnville, Tennessee. And for uh, those of you that are not Tennessee based, right? That's about eh, about an hour and a half, two hours. Now, literally, I'm someone who's driven five hours for bread. So clearly, I will drive a minute for anything. So I found that place too. And that was another one. Because one thing I always say to people, I will spend money, like, like I have all of the money in the universe, but I'm committed to finding value at the end of the day. And this place... Because it was a little bit further out. Right. They, he had like some relationship with like a small grower out in Oregon. And he was bringing in like five or seven gallon Japanese maples, but some more interesting varieties. Because remember, we're at that place. Doug and I have surpassed you in your Japanese maple knowledge already, listeners. We've already surpassed you, right? We've we've been to Home Depot. We've seen Crimson Queen. We've seen Blood Good. These are the names. You can Google them. These are like the commodity Japanese maples. So we've seen beyond that at this stage. And that little nursery, they had a few things that were beyond that. And I think they were like uh, between 50 to 100 bucks a piece for like, you know, decent sized trees, four foot, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. And I remember thinking, oh, Whoa. score, right? <laughs> That's the other thing too. Like I think for anybody that, uh, that gets into this, or, or gets into anything, right? It's anything. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, who's a, a business entrepreneurial guy, he does this thing right now, like a flip challenge, where he goes to uh, yard sales on Saturdays. This is a guy who's literally made millions of dollars in his career, but he loves doing it. 
Like he'll go find some, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine toy that he buys, you know, that he haggles the woman down to 50 cents. And then he sees on eBay, it sells for like 30 bucks. And it's that he's like, oh, this is awesome. Right. right. And I do think whenever you, you get into a category, like with the Maples too, there's that sense of the hunt of it too. Yeah. There's that cult, there's that variety that you've looked at these pictures of. That you're like, I cannot wait to like get this thing. I got to get this thing. I got to get this thing. And you're looking for like the right moment to strike. You know, you're trying to find the weak gazelle in the pack. (laughs) (laughs) Strike. You're like, this is my moment of opportunity. So that's my path. That's where you're at. Okay. What is, because I know at some point we start doing damage, Doug. We're not ordering onesie twosies anymore. What's, You said you've made the decision to go with like the smaller sizes. Do you remember like that first mm-hmm. order? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, based on what I'd learned from some of my friends online, I went to some new websites, some new vendors, and I found one that sold newly grafted Japanese maples. Okay. So, uh, Japanese maples are are grafted. So that there's essentially clones of the parent tree. And that's what grafting does for you. Apple trees, those types of things, those are grafted. When you buy a, a Golden Delicious apple tree, it's a, basically a clone of the original uh, Golden Delicious tree. So grafting is, uh, is what you want that it assures that you're going to get exactly what you think you should get, as opposed to a seed, which yeah. is, could be variable. So uh, they had newly grafted trees. For fourteen ninety nine. $14. See, that sounds like a value. Even now, hearing cents. you say it, the way you said it sounds like a value. $14.99. And they didn't have five cultivars. They didn't have 10 cultivars. They had a zillion cultivars. Mm. And so who I who, just. Who was it that you did that, that with? What's that? Who, who was the nursery that you were buying? No, it's called World Plants. World Plants. World Plants. Okay. Yeah, yep. World Plants. Um, and from year to year, you didn't know what they were going to have in their catalog because uh, a lot of it depended on uh, who they were grafting for. Mm-hmm. A lot of nurseries that did grafting, they were kind of like contractors. They would graft for other nurseries. Yeah. They would sell them to those nurseries. They would grow them into bigger plants. But uh, World Plants specialized in the grafting. And uh, so uh, I ordered six plants. And I got these plants in, little baby plants. And I tell you, they're like puppies. Okay. They were like puppies. So, so compare it, it to your Osakazuki experience. Did uh, you feel did you feel the same about it? Because the Osakazuki well, was bigger. I, but the, did you feel any like, oh, these aren't as big as Osakazuki? Or like you're saying, you were like, no, this is actually awesome. I love the idea of watching them grow. I actually, for me, it was uh, w- the watching them grow part of it was a big thing. But Having them in in a smaller size, and um, we've talked about this several times before, but there's sort of a human scale mm-hmm. thing that goes on when you're talking about trees and plants. And when when a plant gets too much bigger than a human, uh, it starts becoming harder to relate to. I think. And so for me, like these li- these gorgeous, you know, that that they came in the spring, and so they had just leafed out. You know, they are, were just leafing out and I got to watch all that gorgeous spring color. And in Japanese maples, the, the spring color is 
a lot of times yeah. the best color of the whole year is just as good as the fall in some or better in some instances. And so I just, it was just like, you know, a kid in a candy store, yeah. you know, and I have these little, they're, they're almost like little puppies, these gorgeous little trees. You know, I, I had a dogwood tree out there. I, I put these little, little stones around it. And I've set mm. each one of these little pots on it, you know, with my little babies, my yeah. six babies. And I was just, uh, you know, it was like, like puppies. So in one order, We've doubled. We've, du uh, we've yeah, doubled. We, we've doubled. We've doubled. We went from four. We got six more. Now we're, we're, at, now we're at 10. We're, we're at 10. We only have and, like how many more to go? Five, uh, five, five something, <laughs> right? So, so, so at that point, yeah. have you and I, so at that point, you and I have not even probably uh, messaged or anything yet. Not on, on yet. No, yet. that was pre us. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. pre us. Then, then I saw some of your posts, yeah. you know, and somewhere in there, uh, after you had put in that path yeah. and you had, and you had, were buying these bigger ones. And I was like, wow, I, you know, some of those trees are ones that I'm interested in. Yeah. I wanted to see them in person. Yeah. And Steve's like, Hey, come see. Him. Yeah. You know, that's I, it. I, we were like 30 minutes away from each well, other. So. And what's, what, what was also interesting for me at the time was I was uh, trying to take time away from being on the road a lot. My daughter was right. little only she was, only, I mean, Alexa at that point is only like three. Yeah. You know, right in that ballpark. So she's really little. And um, do, trying to do work from home, you know, that whole kind of vibe. But the other thing for all of you kids at home too, right? Like for all of you that think you're cool making content then, I was making content then, Doug. Yeah. I was doing like starting to get into gardening. I was doing like vegetable gardening segments and things like that. There was this brand new thing called used tubes. And YouTube and I were, were very friendly and I was posting stuff on there. And what I found sort of interesting about it at the time was, firstly, no one cared, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, if, if you post a video on YouTube and there's no one on YouTube, will anyone watch? No. Um, and the category is so niche. And, and still, to this day, yeah. you know, let's be honest, like the, the rare sort of the tree horticulture world, like Doug and I are saying, like, really, that is is essentially maybe, and you know, and who knows, all things are cyclical, but was sort of the peak of it. You know, yeah. that was really it. That was the moment in time where it felt like there was a lot of um, international interest, you would even say, in it. So for me, like having somebody local who was into it was like, whoa, like, yeah. I can't even believe this. And here's a funny story also about this. I don't even know if I've ever told Doug this or not, but I have this same experience now. This is sort of relatable. That's why I have to tell the story. So now, like a lot of times, like on our Instagram account, I mean, now it's hard to miss me because, you know, I'm doing 462 Instagram stories daily, Doug, you know, I'm breaking <laughs> it. Um, but when it was, I wasn't as active putting myself out there. It was just Nacho's Glen House, right? Mm -hmm. So people would correspond with me. They would direct message with me and they had no idea of my gender. Like I probably had early season this year, like four or five people reach out to me who, when they showed up, they were like, oh, you're a man. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, in fact, I am, which I thought was hysterical. But before we met, I had no idea. I had no idea if you were a man, if you were a woman, I had no yeah. clue. Yeah, because my, my, my handle, my uh, handle, whatever it was, I can't even remember my oh, handle. Something like, uh, like uh, it was Catan or Catan. Yeah, Catan, yeah. Kite and four. There Kite you go. Four. There you go. Yeah, uh, it, from uh, a sci-fi novel that I like. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so you, you couldn't no tell. Idea. You couldn't tell. No. Uh, so, some people thought 
it was Caitlin or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, right. And I was like, nope, that's not me. Well, and so. that, and that's sort of the funny thing about it too, right? Like you sort of think about it. Um, and maybe that is the thing, like with message boards, right? It, it's not only are they anonymous, but it's so much more passive, right? Yeah. It's it's written word primarily. It's not everybody's doing duck face and taking selfies, right? It's not no, that no, at all. No, 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 no. It's literally it, at, at that stage of the game, and maybe sadly that it's it's like saying that one of the changes is it's very informational driven, really. It's not a personal thing as much. I mean, yeah, there are always message boards for that kind of stuff too, but they were very topic driven. Yeah, super topic driven. And um, if you're posting pictures, you were posting pictures of your trees. Of your trees, yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was like showing the leaves off, showing this, you know, I've got this weird disease going. What is that? Uh, yeah, it's very informational, uh, kind of like a WebMD for plants. Absolutely. You know, uh, in, a, in, in addition to some of the, you know, sort of the, the social aspects of it. So, so yeah, so the, the social aspects after I met you, yeah, uh, that exploded for me as well yeah. because, uh, you know, I joined the Maple Society, which, yeah. um, you know, was associated with that bulletin board, uh, joined the conifer society because yeah. Steve kind of got into conifers a little earlier than I did. I, I was just really hung up on maples for, for quite a while and eventually got into both. But uh, but not near to the degree on conifers that Steve did, and uh, and then the next thing you know, it's like, oh well, we're having a conference, you know, we're having a meeting in uh, Oregon or or uh, New York or whatever, and you can sign up, you can go up for a weekend, you meet all yeah. these people. We're going to tour these amazing gardens and nurseries, and next thing you know, you're just sucked into that whole world. That's it. And, and it is, and for anybody out there, you know, it's one of the things that's good and bad about plants. You know, it's the, the, the positive side of it is you meet a lot of people with common interests, right? So you have this commonality. Yeah. The negative of it is it's not always the most embracing outwardly. You know, it, it, they don't tend to always be groups that really reach out beyond their walls. You know, yeah. if you enter into the walls, if you know the secret codes, you can get in. But they don't always reach out that well. They're not really great at that. And I think that's also what has limited a lot of the categories, you know, that yeah. you don't see a lot of great outreach work. You know, as an example, if, you know, all of you listening to this have found me through Instagram, through social media, if we went on Instagram and we searched any of these groups, the odds of any of them having an Instagram account are like 0.1. Yeah. And that sort of speaks to some of that too, which I've always found is, disappointing because like Doug and I have created a friendship that goes beyond plants, but that's how we started. Yeah. You know, and, 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 if, and if you, if you reached out more, these groups, they could bring people together in yeah. that kind of way. And you could find people yeah. with, at least you have that commonality, even if it's totally awkward silence, you can always go, how about them maples? You know, yeah. <laughs> you always have that moment where you can sort of break any kind of awkward silence in a room because you have that common subject. And I think when, when you and I met and you're, you're, cause I think you actually started going to like the maple convention societies and things like that way more than I did. Like that was never I, like my, my thing. Yeah, me. I did. I, you know, really early on, uh, I think that's in 2008, I think was my first maple, uh, society, uh, convention. Yeah. Uh, and 
at the time I was um, traveling a lot for work yeah. and I um, uh, did a lot of work in Seattle. And so I was, I was back and forth out there all the time. I had lots of frequent flyer, flyer miles built up and, and uh, you know, this convention came up in uh, uh, Oregon and I thought, I'm going to go. Yeah. So I did. And all of a sudden, you're meeting people online, you know, that you maybe just talked to online. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, so it's more like meeting lots of Steves. Uh, you meet growers, the people that actually, you know, uh, own these nurseries that you might have been buying from. And um, you get to know them a little bit more on a personal level. Um, you meet people from other countries. Um, in that particular uh, convention, we had Dick Vandermatt from uh, the Netherlands there, and uh, super nice guy. You get to know him, you know, you converse with these people, um, you know, as as friends after that. Well, so well it was, you know, like really, in, the, in the food world, right? Like they yeah. always say the commonality in the food world, even if you're from different countries, is the love of food, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's sort of disappointing, too, because like plants are the same way. It is a truly international community of people that have this interest. And it's just not uh, shared as well as food. It hasn't been positioned really well from someone who's, you know, that's, that is my background, is learning how to position things for people. And I've always used the comparisons because I think for anybody listening, you can easily understand that, you know, how a, uh, a chef from Barcelona, Spain, can relate to a chef that's doing interesting things in Birmingham, Alabama. And even though the two of them may have a complete language barrier, they still share that commonality of food and ingredients and techniques and ideas and the history of the category. Plants are exactly like that. Like, like, yeah. like Doug just said, I mean, you know, Dick Vandermatt, you know, is like in, in the maple world is like a legendary name. Yeah. He's it, named it, name some of the best uh, cultivars, maple cultivars out there. But that's it. But um, yet, you know, he and and you know, and his English is pretty solid. But you know, much better than my Dutch. But you know, it's it's one of those same worlds that you do yeah. have people from all over the world. But it's that same thing. It just sort of limits itself just a tad. And the thing, just to speak to it, for me. I never got into like the the society part of it just because I feel like there's a little too much, and this is for me saying it, a little snobbiness to it. It's a little too distancing. And I'm always more of the like, I'd rather, you know, I think it's really cool, but we can also take ourselves a little too seriously sometimes. And some of these groups can lean that direction. Not all of them, right? Not everybody there. But occasionally you'll get a group that like wants to debate the botanical origin of a plant and should the genus be changed or reclassified when at the end of the day, we're just staring at a cool, pretty tree. You know, we can sort of just go past that. So you're, 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 in I got that. Involved in that. you're getting, you're getting in that. <clears throat> and then at this point, cause we have to pause and do this every so often. What's our tally now? What do we think? How many maples are we at at this point? By that time I had. Probably by the time I went to that convention, I probably had 60 plus maples. Okay. So, so, okay. So to recap, <laughs> to recap for you people, we're in the spring of 2008, right? Yeah. Spring of 2008. No, no, no it was fall. Sorry. Fall of 2008. So, but, but spring of 2008, we, we placed our order for the six from world plants, right? Is that, that, 
that pretty accurate, you think? Spring of spring of 08? Or was that spring of 07? Um, let's see. Uh, I can't remember. But so let's call for the sake of the story, Doug. Let's call uh, it spring of 08. Spring of 08. Spring of 08. So we went from four to now we're like in the 60s. Yeah. Like in eight months. Yeah. Right in that ballpark. Something like that. So for it's all kind of sad. No, I see yeah. that's the thing. I've always said this to Doug. Like, see, this is this is this is where this is where Doug and I have enabled each other ultimately. Because I'm the guy who's going, no, it's not. It's see, actually see, phenomenal. See, Steve should have been directing me to the therapist, you know, <laughs> but instead he was enabling me. Listen, the therapist would have cost you more money ultimately, Doug. Have you seen therapist rates? I mean, that's come true. on. 200 bucks an that's, hour for good ones. That's true. It's not that I know, but so I think that's the thing, though, sometimes, you know, that the world and, you know, we could you could probably speak to this phrase at any time in history. Right. But in 2018, we still have a lot of practicality talk, you know, oh, this isn't this is practical. Oh, this isn't practical. And I have been someone my entire life who has gone upstream against practical. I'm the warrior against practical. I'm like, practical? Who wants that? That's the most boring word on yeah. earth to me, to be able to say like, is this a practical decision? No, nothing cool ever is, you know? And for Doug, like I, at that point, I think I probably shared this with Doug at that stage, like I'm getting envious of Doug. Like I'm like, Doug has got all these maples. I've got like 20. I stink. This is horrible. So his, you know, his approach of getting the small ones, you know, and, and paying, you know, <laughs> you know, in total, you're probably outspending me at this point. Like at this I point, don't know. at I, this point, like, you know, but Doug has, has, has got like awesome maples too. That's the other thing. You know, when you, you open yourself up to buying online, like you're literally shopping the entire universe catalog. Yeah, of yeah, it, it is. It, it's way different than buying local because you just you find things that you never would have ever seen local. Uh, you know, you find people who and, and this was part of the uh, sort of the the good thing about that, the, the Maple Society and, and the, the UBC forum is that you you had people that. You know, they they were purely collectors. You yeah. know, they they uh, they loved the plants and they they loved them because of what they were, and they wanted to find every different kind they could yeah. and understand how to grow them. You know, there's this this dedication to to the to the the species uh, and to that the maple culture, and so you could just find amazing things and um you know you start networking with people and uh, the next thing you know it's like okay well um yeah you've been buying these things online well oh well, i have this kind of tree uh would you know would you like to uh get some some scion wood so so when you graft you you know you cut off uh, a branch from the mother tree and and you graft it onto uh, what they call an understock which is a sort of a generic uh, uh, version of of that tree with with uh, strong roots, yeah. and um, but uh, in the wintertime, uh, you can harvest these little pieces of branches. They call it wood, and they say you have some 
XYZ wood, you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever and, version and, of maple that might be. Yeah, and here's the other thing too, just to, to share with everybody. So uh, pre 9-11, when uh, airline security was a little less and uh, mm -hmm. just general mail security was a little bit less throughout the 80s and into the 90s, and not that it still happens today, but it might still happen today. People were, were trading wood craftable material all over the world all over the world yeah you would just put it in an envelope and fedex it to wherever you wanted and so that i kind of got into doing that too and that started me down the path of doing my own grafting yeah. okay because because then you could have even more trees and you weren't really spending that much money and you could share some of the trees that you had with other people so I eventually got in and started doing my own grafting, not really, you know, uh, from a financial standpoint, really, but uh, just because you just love to do it. That's it. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, so the collection starts growing and you start trading uh, scion wood with different people. You, you uh, uh, trade seed, seeds, you collect mm -hmm. seeds, like you might have a specific... Um, uh, cultivar of maple or a species of maple that someone wants the seeds from and maple seeds are highly variable you know genetically and you never know what kind of tree might come out of that and that's why there's so many different kinds of japanese maples is because of that diversity that comes out of the seeds and so it's really fun to grow them from seeds just to see what will come up well and that's uh, one of the the things for for the entire universe of plants that's you know, I, I was mentioning this today on a uh, Instagram story, go figure, that people have no clue the depth of variability that is in every plant species group, really. You know, even uh, today I was picking on sunflowers and everybody's familiar with, you know, the big giant yellow sunflower in the field. You know, that's right. the, it's very Instagrammable at the moment. And just in the same way with Japanese maples, most people who have probably gone to a garden center, have at least seen a red-leafed upright variety and a red-leafed weeping variety. And that's it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the gamut of it. And when there are, there's, there's numerous ways new varieties are introduced, but like what Doug is sharing, that it takes sometimes, like if you could germinate seeds, you could germinate a thousand seeds and they're all just red upright, Growers, yeah. green-leafed, red-leafed, real just Generic. standard same thing yeah. that you sort of started with. But then every once in a while, there's that one, sort of like Professor X and the X-Men, yeah. right? There's that yeah. one X-Men with the superpowers. Like, that's it. Out of the whole group. Everybody else is just standard, parent genetic, and that one stands out. So by being in that maple society, the other thing that, that Doug had, a, a, I think, a great opportunity to was like, you're getting really cool stuff now. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're even, you're even like you're one step up, right? Like you, you, yeah. you keep sort of, if this was a video game, you're leveling up and I'm now leveling. you're at like almost the level cap. Like you're at the top of the food chain as far as like who you're interacting with, your sources for maples and the varieties that you're getting access to are really hard to right. find, difficult, not many of them period in the world. Right. And so, so then you kind of enter this phase where um, you're, you're making these connections and it, you know, it is almost like in the old days when they would go to the jungles looking for the rare orchids, mm -hmm. you know, you're, 
going around trying to find these rare maples. And so I, I, you know, head out on road trips with friends from the Maple Society. We would be visiting all these different nurseries, you know, some of them hardly known, mm-hmm. you know, to see what kind of Japanese maples they had. And we would find very uh, unusual maples there that you'd never seen before. We'd buy them up, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We would uh, we would share them with other people, sh- share the cyanwood with other people. But, uh, you know, just combing through all the online materials, combing through uh, online uh, resources, visiting nurseries. Um, <laughs> the, probably the craziest thing I ever did was went to the National Arboretum uh, with one of my more uh, enthusiastic uh, uh, growers who, who like to grow things from seed. And we're crawling around underneath Japanese maples in the National Arboretum where we probably shouldn't have been. Uh, and we're, we're just stuffing our pants full of these little Japanese maple <laughs> seedlings so that we can... <laughs> So then we can take them home and grow them on, you know. Uh, well, and I think uh, it's kind of insane. No, I, but I, I, uh, I, I think, it sounds more like something a high school kid or someone would be no. doing. But well, uh, it's also I think the other thing that that everybody needs to recognize, right? Like now, I mean, you know, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with Netflix and chill, Doug. But you know, Netflix and chill is a little boring. You know, there's not much to <laughs> it. I mean, how much Netflix and chilling can you do in life? Um, Whenever you have a passion, you know, for any subject, you would hope that you do some crazy things. You know, it's part of it. You know, it's part of the experience of, of anything that someone's into. Um, you know, in, in your case, you, you found some people like myself who are enabling. Like, we're all sort of enabling each yeah, other. We're enablers. 100%. Yep. But that support group, too, yeah. of that. Because, you know, outside of that, you know, if we if we go up to you know, Joe Jane average on the street. And we say, how many Japanese maples have you bought in the last eight months? <laughs> Joe Jane average, you know, the number is going to be like, uh, zero, get away from me. Yeah. Um, you know, so you don't want to hang out with those people. They're uncool. So obviously we're gravitating towards that and we're heading that direction. And, you know, I, I, I see it now, you know, we, we were just talking about this before we started recording here that, you know, People want all of us at a a human level, right? We want to be entertained, you know, whatever our eye candy we want. We want people who who value us as humans, who who think what we're we're about is interesting. So you found this group of people who are giving you that. They're they're giving you enabling, we'll call it that, but it sort of has a negative term. We shouldn't, we should start calling it enabling. No, just, I would say, yeah, encouragement, support. Yeah. And and you're, you're doing things that are are bringing you a great deal of enjoyment. Like that's, that's the thing about it. It, It's, you know, here, here we are, because what year are we at now? Like when are we at the National Arboretum taking seeds? That's probably about 2011. Okay. Okay. So, So here we are sitting here across from each other in 2018. Do you regret any of the, do you regret oh, gathering yeah. the seeds at the National Arboretum? Do you no, have any of that? No, no, I don't, I don't regret it at all. I, I you know, it was, uh, I had a great time. Uh, still have friends, still, you know, keep in touch with them, but uh, besides yourself, uh, from the Maple Society. And, um, 
you know, they they still have events that, uh, you know, that, uh, I'm interested in. I haven't gone to one recently, but, um, came close. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, now I've had, have people come to me, yeah. you know, to see me and, um, you know, the collection now is so a, in 2011, a little bit larger. We're, we're gathering seeds. What number ballpark me in 2011? But by then, I probably had about 200. Okay, so we're at 200, no, 200 Like right there. Yeah. Okay. Now, the other thing that was interesting to me about this, because as we were talking, I thought about it. The first two places that I actually bought mail order from are out of business now. Yeah. For you, can you can you remember like I mean is well world plants uh, they're out of business yeah. yeah the and here's the thing about a lot of the mail orders is that they they're sort of the mom and pop type yeah. operations most of them um, some of them had been involved in the nursery industry doing things like grafting like world plants um, uh, and sort of doing uh, I guess uh, contract work. Yeah. And that just seems to have fallen off the Completely. edge of the world. Completely. You know, it just seems to be almost gone. But let me let me add yeah. some some flavor to what Doug's saying yeah. here. So in 2009, I start working for a large wholesaler. Okay. And I start working and running that nursery essentially. Yeah. Top, you know. <laughs> that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story, <laughs> but I'm running that nursery. Okay. Now at that time. The housing crisis has happened in 2008 and in 2009, you know, the sky is falling. Um, the nursery industry discovers that, wow, there's not really that many people like Doug and I who love plants, but there was a lot of people in Northern New Jersey building subdivisions and they just needed a lot of plants. That yeah. was really it. That was the need. The country was building, we were building developments and especially, you know, countrywide, you know, lenders like that were giving you houses, you know, for nothing. Uh, and they needed trees to fill those yeah. landscapes with. That was it. So all of the nurseries that were growing bigger scale nurseries out in uh, the Western US, uh, the places Doug is mentioning who were doing that grafting contracted have stopped buying all those small plants. Because what would happen is they would buy in just like what Doug was doing. They would buy in this small plant. They would put it out in a field and grow it in the field, or they'd put it in containers and they'd grow them in greenhouses and they would grow them then maybe another four years, maybe five years. And then they'd be big enough to sell to like an independent garden center like Hewitt's that we mentioned at the beginning, right? Exactly. Sort of the cycle of life of plants. But the problem is the bricks go on the housing market and all of that contracted grafting for those small growers who are doing the baby plants, the puppies, stops, yeah. just goes away. Because now what's happening, the bigger nurseries are looking to do all that now internally. Internally. So yeah. if we're going to graft, we're going to do it. It's going to keep the cost lower, can keep the numbers lower. We're going to oversee it. And ironically, in almost every business now, we're still seeing the same thing. More and more companies continue to bring things in, single channel, in source is a, you know, a word that became popular in the last decade. And the nursery industry was no different. They were yeah. looking to control cost, control quality, control labor, all of those things after that housing crisis. So one of the things, because we're at 200 maples in 2011, we'll get to the number of people. It's coming. The final number is coming of where Doug ended up at with his Japanese maples. But it's probably harder to find 
some of these maples today than it would have been in 2008 to 11-ish, let's yeah. say. Would you think you think that's for, that's probably true to say? I think, you know, yeah, I think so. And, and uh, there was, uh, there were a lot of growers that had really diverse catalogs. Yeah. You know, they had, they were going a lot of different cultivars. And as things got tighter, as money got tighter, as these contracting type jobs dried up for them, they had to kind of scale back to the basics. Yeah. So you saw a, a lot of people who brought in rarer material. You, you had people that literally used to go to the Orient, yeah. you know, to Japan, to China, looking for new things. Uh, and that completely stopped doing yeah. that. And so this, this influx of new material um, kind of started drying up. Um, the, the, the mom and pops were going out of business left and right. Uh, a lot of them were the ones that, that kind of were the keepers of yeah. this rarer material. And so like world plants, people like that, they just just disappeared. And uh, so you, you, the community began to shrink into just really the hardcore collectors. Mm. It was pretty much became a collector's market. Well, for the most part, you're not going to put food on your table if you cater to the collector's no. market. Because collectors are going to be more like me. Um, they're probably not going to want to buy your big stock. You know, they're going to want to buy small stuff yeah. and grow it on or, or trade cyanwood, you know? So, uh, the, the market just contracted into this little nucleus. And, and it was amazing uh, how fast it felt like it happened. Yeah, it, it happened pretty, pretty And at the, the same time, Doug is mentioning this, like I'm, yeah. I'm running the nursery, I'm traveling a lot. And occasionally lot. I pick up the phone and I call Doug. And I'm like, you know that nursery we used to talk about that was in blah, 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 that we thought was really, really awesome? Well, it turns out it's not awesome at all. Yeah. It's a really sort of a rundown place. Yeah. Like that was the yeah. other thing that was happening a little bit too. And, and, and in, in their defense a little bit, because like what we're talking about during this time, we're seeing economic recession, we're seeing their businesses really shrinking. They don't have the resources that they thought they were going to have. And, right. and I think- that is one of the things at the beginning, you know, I mentioned about the difference between tree grower and annual flower grower. Right. The tree grower, it's good and bad. They don't see the bad coming, so they can't anticipate it all the time. Right. So when they go and they start trying to grow these trees, they've got seven years. It's hard. I mean, people think about it, right? Yeah. Even if not keep this a political conversation. But seven years ago, if someone walked up to you and said, you know who the president of the United States will be seven years from now? Donald Trump. Yeah. He, you, you, we, wouldn't, we couldn't have had one person, Doug, seven years ago, right? Yeah. So think about the tree grower. Yeah. The tree grower seven years ago says, I'm predicting this will be a good tree. I'm predicting the economy will be good. It's a right. really tough business. In it's a general. tough business. And we started hearing these nightmare stories yeah. of uh, growers that would that had these fields full of larger trees, and you know the more expensive the tree, it was like the harder it was to get yeah. rid of. And when the when the crunch hit in two thousand eight, uh, and people were literally going out in their fields and like cutting down every other tree, yes, and burning it, yes, uh, just because they couldn't take take care of it anymore. They just they didn't have labor. They you know, they, they didn't have the space, they didn't have the resources, uh, or, or they would just let whole greenhouses full of plants die. Yes. You know, it was pretty pathetic. And 
Yeah, once we started visiting, I, I visited someone I went out to Oregon. Yeah. It was kind of in shock to find out uh, what disrepair of some of them were in or, you know, ones that online presence, you can't That's really it. tell. That's it. It's uh, sort of like the social media of today, yeah, right? Yeah, you can like, portray your life yeah, however you'd like to. Like, yeah, it's like there's a smoke screen and behind the scenes, it's like, oh my gosh, yes. you know, you well, can't and, and believe there, you're- there, There's two of them and I will not mention them by name, but- there were two of them specifically that mm -hmm. you and I will stare at each yeah. other and nod and know exactly yes. who we're talking about that I think both of us at one point thought these were going to be like, you know, a Mecca, like you were going to go there and they were known for these incredibly cool, interesting, rare plants and you're, you're, you're hyped to go there. You yeah. know, think about it, anything you're, you're into, right? Like let's, you know, let's say you're into music, Doug. And you're going to go meet Beyonce. You are amped, right? You are like, I'm going to meet the queen. Maybe Jay will be there. Maybe they'll like me. Maybe they'll start following me on Instagram, right? Like you are in it. And then you go there. And it's like, wait a second. This is not the experience I thought I was going to have. This place doesn't look like I thought it was going to look like. I mean, it yeah. was, I remember at the time. You know, it was it was both a little rattling, almost because you, you have these expectations. But I, at the time, also because I'm, I'm I'm running the nursery at this point too, it's real depressing. It, it's got uh, a depressing vibe to it. Yeah, it, it's depressing. And and uh, one nursery in particular that I visited that I had bought from previously, I absolutely after going there, I would never buy anything from yeah. them again because. The place was so nasty. I was just, I it was like, I don't know what kind of pathogen I'm going to bring in, yeah. you know? Uh, it was it was literally like, uh, you know, a garbage dump for plants. It was terrible. I don't know how they could even, as a person, could, could you know, could work at a place. Well, was that, and and, and that I think the thing that we saw terrible, also you know? was that they had, you know, the, the, the growth here, right? And there, there's a narrative to all this too, folks. Like if you're paying attention to what Doug and I are saying here, like that the narrative of the farmer, right? Because that's you know we're we're we can very easily elevate what growing like a Japanese maple is, and we could easily separate it from like the koi, the corn, or the soy farmer. We could separate them, but it's really the same at the end of the day, right? They're growing something. Their livelihood is dependent on this crop, no yep. matter what the crop is. Yep. That all of these growers, these farmers that we're talking about, even if it's at small boutique scale or if it's at big agricultural scale, had overextended themselves. Every one of them, that the, just well, not every, almost every one of them. There were a handful of mom and poppers that that I know of, and and they all had other things that brought them income. Yeah. You know, uh, so they weren't totally dependent on the nursery side. To you know, to, to put food on their table, but just a bare handful. That's it. And, a and bare it, handful and, that and that it, really were not a, not overextended. And it's no different than any historical, you know, grapes of wrath, any you know, historical agriculture story. Right. You know that the <laughs> the life of the farmer, even despite the fact on like social media, on Instagram, particularly like now, what I'm doing with flowers, right? I always make the easy joke, right, Doug? That, you know, it all looks flowery. I mean, because literally that's what it is. And, and Japanese maples are the same thing. No offense to corn, but it's just not as sexy. 
you right. know, so the corn farmer, you know, you post something on Instagram and he's like, great, thanks, corn, exciting, where the flower grower or the maple grower even posts something. It's beautiful. The aesthetic yeah. of it, you know, we're just, we're drawn to that. But the realities of the business practice is not different from the corn farmer. We just have a sexier thing. That's all. And all of them, because of the building in the United States, had gotten very excited in 2004 and 2007, had all built bigger infrastructure. Not saying that I see this going on a little bit today with you people growing the kale, just saying (laughs) that had built a lot of infrastructure, thinking that this was going to be a train that was going to keep rolling. And those plants they were planting out in the ground in 2004 were going to find really great homes by 2011 for good yeah. money. Because again, we're talking about like a seven-year turnover here. So we've seen that. We're seeing the decline of it. Firstly, how many maples are we at at this point? We're at, let's call us, we're in 2012-ish, let's say maybe. We're at. Well, I, you know, I really don't know because... Um, we're starting to lose count. This is where you know it gets bad. This is, <laughs> this is where we this is where we lose count. Yeah, this is where we lose count. Um, I I started graft by then. I was yeah. grafting a lot of my own plants. I, I and I would just graft them, um, and just so I could graft. Uh, I made a a little uh, tutorial on grafting, even you know that I shared with the Maple Society. Um, yeah, so it was kind. Of, it was my hobby. Yeah. My every winter, my den would turn into a makeshift greenhouse. It was the sunniest room in my house. I had card tables set up with row after row after row of these little Japanese maple graphs that I did, you know, during January and February. Which is really and, one of the most awesome things ever, people. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. Like, you know, everything that Doug has always ever shared with me about like what he was doing when he get when he got into grafting, which is something I, I never pondered to do like i was always like how awesome is this guy like every time like i was never there was never a moment where i was like oh whatever now i would share with doug like what i was seeing like running the nursery you know and and i think that you know gave you some perspective on like what you were doing and, and, and and you know and if and what that was but i think for me i've always tried to approach this and i think this is probably good advice for anybody in the plant category specifically, you know, you've got to do it. And I've said this a lot recently because you enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is maybe more than anything. I mean, I've met many a farmer who even does like commodity agriculture who has, who just enjoys the process, but has also accepted the fact this is a person who's probably going to make maybe fifty to $75,000 a year, period, forever. But they've just accepted that. They're okay with that because right. they enjoy what that job and that process is versus the person who gets into it who thinks this is going to be like a huge money-making proposition with nothing but upward ceiling. You know, that the plant world and being a grower doesn't, yeah. there's no real history to follow there that says that's the way it works. It's no. mostly based upon saying you really have to be someone who enjoys grafting 
and putting the maples in your dining room and doing that process just because why? You just like to. Yeah, you like it. It's a challenge and, uh, and you know, and, and it's like you're making your own little puppies there, yeah. you know, it's, it's cool. You kind of get that experience over and over again of having those little baby trees. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, uh, it's just gotta be something you enjoy doing and um the monetary aspect of it at least today from what i can see that whole industry is uh you know th there are people who uh grow nursery plants on massive industrial scales but it's completely scientifically tuned yeah. to produce you know the like the these orchids that you see at kroger yeah. you know uh People go in, they buy these uh, uh, Phalaenopsis orchids or moth orchids, and they have the cultivation of those down to an exact science work, down to the minute. Yep, they're going to go through this chamber, you know, yeah. for seven days, and then they're going to be put in this size of a pod, and they're going to go for two months out into this other area, and we're going to give them, you know, uh, three cc's of water a day. I mean, they have it down to a science. It's just completely automated. And that's why they can make bazillions of them. That's millions it. and millions of them. Well, and, and that's yeah. been historically the path yeah. of any agriculture. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. It eventually, and it again, eventually yeah. gets to scale. You it know, gets to and, scale. And you, you, you have a group out there that, you know, wants to demonize that process and that happening and, and looks, you know, almost looks down upon it as an evil when the reality of it is they're unaware of how difficult it is to run it on small scale. And yeah. for many cases, just the business model of small scale growing, whatever that is, Japanese maples, orchids, corn, whatever, just isn't profitable. Like there's yeah. just, there's not a way to do it. And yeah. I think what you and I are both seeing in the process too, because let's get back to like the economics of this for a second again. We're talking about there were $9,000 cedar box Japanese maples sitting around at garden centers across the country. And then there were $14.99 newly grafted puppy Japanese maples available in the world at the same time. And what we ended up seeing was the small grower who was doing the $14.99 isn't around anymore. And in fact, I will leave their name out of this, but the grower who was doing the $9,000 cedar boxes yeah. went through a bankruptcy protection. Yeah. So both yeah. models and, had flaws. And, and Steve, those $9,000 maples are still sitting there <laughs> yeah. in those nurseries today. Yes. Yeah, yes. they're still there. Yeah. Yes, completely. And I think the, the thing that I have found, you know, uh, about the pursuit of plants, you know, which is what a lot of this sort of comes down to is, it is that you just have to be okay. And this is the thing, like, you know, we put these expectations on ourselves, like psychologically, with just enjoying it. But yeah, that's enough sometimes. Enjoy the ride. That's it. Enjoy the ride. But there's you no, know? there's, there's no, why are, you know, why do we got to ask for more? Like, it could just be like, hey, this brings me personal fulfillment. I don't need to flip yeah. this into a business all the time. You know, I could just keep this as something, you know, people ask me now, like, oh, I, I want to grow cut flowers. You know, I want to get a couple hundred dahlias. I want to do, do you know how much work it is 
yeah. to, to upkeep a couple of hundred dahlias, you know, how about you do like now, granted, Doug and I went like fast scale, but go back to the beginning of the story. Doug's got two Japanese maples to start. Then four. Then 60. Okay, so there's a jump there, right? Like we got yeah, a jump. Pretty big but, but neither of us at that point in the game is thinking about this as a business at all. At all. Neither one of us in 2008, nine in that ballpark. And even myself, after taking over the nursery, just sort of through like serendipitous, they, they sort of asked me to almost, you know, right? <laughs> that kind of process. Yeah. You know, neither of us are looking at it as an income. We're just doing well, it because we like it. We're doing it because we like it. But, but, but that, I think your experience. Yeah. You know, kind of was the the sobering reality mm. of that that industry. Yeah. That oh yeah, and you know, if you're thinking about making money off of it, um, you know, you might be in for a rough hoe. Yeah. Uh, rough ride there. Um, and we were seeing people starting to go out of business that had been in business for many yeah. many years, and you kind of realize, oh, you know, uh, yeah, I really love Japanese. Maybe would like to do that. You know, could I do this as a business? You know, those. Types of things cross your mind, and then you start seeing these people have been doing it for many years, going out of business. You know, like, well, you know, I'm not sure I could bring anything to that game that's not already been put on the table. Yeah. You know, I mean, because there's not that many different elements to it. You know, no. uh, so uh, yeah, so so yeah, you need to. I think uh, gardening should just be, uh, you know, something that brings you enjoyment that. Uh, Put you in touch with uh, with nature, and uh, and it's kind of uh, to enjoy the process of the garden. Yeah, and absolutely. you know, watching the I, I will I can never get tired of watching the the leaf break on Japanese maples in the spring, um, and each one of them is different. You know, and we ha there's some that that are folded up like a fan and, and just stretch out like that. There, there's others that look like little origami birds when they when the leaves start uh, opening up. Uh, it, it's kind of a magical thing, you know, that, that you can, I, I never get tired of. And I think you have to find that. Agreed. You know, in gardening. Well, there's if those you're just doing it because you want your yard to look good, or if you're just doing it because your neighbor had bought one and so you bought one that yeah. you know uh that's the wrong way to go well you and, need and, to do, do it because you get something out of it that's it you've got to get self-fulfillment yeah from these things that you do you know it's that moment that it, you know that i mentioned that you, you find those stones originally and that's your your real gateway and then you you plant the osakazuki next to the stone and for you you get that fulfillment whatever we want to call that from that experience yeah and then you're just like, yeah, I can keep doing this. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have also talked about this and anybody who has heard me, you know, rant on this subject before is aware of my take on this or it's brand new and fresh for you. The real pitfall of the entire industry of horticulture, which, you know, speaking specifically to like gardening, landscaping plants was they didn't want to be authentic and transparent with people. They wanted to like, and you'll remember this too, that in, especially during the housing boom of like 2005 to 2008, 
They were actually telling people that if you went out and you put in these landscapes, that it added all of this value to your home. That I remember seeing things at the time that were like, oh, if you spend X money, you see a 10% increase in the uh, the home estimate that you'll receive, which was totally not true, totally never founded on anything. It was just one of these, oh, we'll tell people this, and people were doing it. And again, it wasn't about saying, you know, you got to find things you love. You got to find things that you think are beautiful, things that you can enjoy. And then the secondary sale was, it'll add value to your house. And then number two was, the two, the phrase, that cut the knees out of the gardening world throughout the throughout the world, really. Europe does a better job still than we do in this country, but yeah. even there it's weak. Low maintenance. Oh boy. Low maintenance was the word. Yeah. And even things at the time running the nursery, things like Japanese maples, things like evergreen conifers were put in that category. That these were lower maintenance choices because they were essentially trees. Right. And you know, what do you got to do? You know, it grows, you get it. The leaves fall off in the case of maples, you do some raking, but that'd be it. That's all you'd have to do. It's not the case. It's not the truth. Japanese maples specifically were also called slow growing, which you and I both know not to be true in our climate for sure. (laughs) For sure. And that you would not have to do much to it. So here, here are Doug and I, 35 minutes apart from each other, finding the same thing, that growing these plants is a real passion for us. And it's giving this us th- that fulfillment. And for you and I, that obviously here we sit 10 years later was clearly enough. But the industry isn't selling that. They're not selling to other people that this could give you fulfillment because it's a little too esoteric for the industry. Maybe they were just selling, it'll add value to your house, practical. And low maintenance, maintenance. practical. And once again, as I always say, Doug, nothing practical has ever been cool and very few things that are practical sell. And that's what that world was about. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if it's low maintenance, quote, quote, low maintenance, I'm not sure really what that means because um, everything needs, this alive needs some kind of maintenance, you know. But it's a living thing. So it has needs. It's not going to sit there like a piece of concrete. Um, But, uh, you know, I kind of had to, when I started out with this, and we kind of skipped over this part of it, but I kind of had to learn, uh, you know, what, what are the minimal requirements for me to be successful doing what I'm starting to like to do? And, you know, those first few maples that I got, um, you know, I'm sitting here planting it in the the soil on the top of my hill, you know, uh, which is very poor soil. And I very quickly learned and and part of joining that group and, and also, you know, seeing you uh, in your garden made me realize, whoa, I have really super crappy soil. I'm going to have to do something about if I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm actually going to have to take do something. Med- yeah, <laughs> yeah, take steps to make it work. And so, uh, you know, or now early on, you know, when I when when the Crimson Queen went in, that little bed beside the walk mm. was a raised bed to start with. So, I but I didn't really think of it as a raised bed. It's just it was new yeah. construction. You know, we put a put a big dump of topsoil in front of the house, and and you know that wound up working out. 
because it was pretty much uh, a raised bed yeah. with fresh soil. But in the, the rest of my yard, it was kind of, uh, you know, there's just no hope. So uh, yeah, I had to bring in uh, many dump truck loads of, of soil to make the beds that I wound up with. Um, and, and that made all the difference, you know, just and some of them aren't hugely deep, you know, uh, it's just you needed to get them up out of that clay and uh, and they're happy campers, well, you know. And so, I, I told you this before we started also that I just did this workshop yesterday. Yeah. And I used you as an example of we had a woman who who lived in Nashville who had just horrible clay soil and that really the only way that she's going to ever overcome this problem is to go up. Yeah. And, and yeah. using you as this an example here that you couldn't have a more challenging spot really to, to yeah. do what you've done, which, which is, which is the other thing that that didn't deter you. You didn't look at that and go, Oh geez, you know, oh, I guess, you know, I won't yeah. be able to do this. It was, Hey, let me find in, in, you know, inspiration. Let me find resource to be able to figure out how to overcome this. Yeah. Because the one thing I will say to everyone on this subject and, and hear me on this, you can do whatever you want to with plants wherever. I mean, I've seen plants and beautiful work done with plants in some of the most unlikely areas on earth, but you have to make a choice between time and resource, AKA money, right? That is a, a, a part of this yeah. that you go, Hey, I'm up on a hill. But I have to, I have to spend a resource here. I got to bring in these truckloads. How many truckloads did you end up doing in like total or like in a cubic yard ballpark? Maybe? Well, um, to, I think they, uh, probably all total, I would say maybe between 15 and 20 dump truckloads. Uh, and those probably held six to nine cubic yards okay. each. So we're going to be in the 100, the 200 cubic loads. yards. We're, yeah. we're not talking little ones. We're yeah, talking big yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, uh, you know, again, I, it's like, a, uh, okay, well, I need all this uh, topsoil. Okay, well, how am I going to spread it? Well, the first load of topsoil that I got in, I spread it by hand. Mm. But it only took one of those. <laughs> so I went out and I learned how to... Uh, drive a bobcat and I've rented bobcats and, and, you know, I'd, I'd rent them or I had a neighbor who had one. I'd, I'd rent his and, and, uh, have a bunch of dirt dumped up here. And then I would just go to town with that bobcat and spread it where I, you know, make the beds. Um, it, yeah, it, it, you know, it was a lot of work to do, but you know, the, the bottom line was, uh, you know, I got what I wanted. That's you it. Know, I got the, the look that I wanted. I was able to, to put in the trees that I wanted to, to that, you know, that, uh, you know, I was passionate about and, and make it work in a place where they really wouldn't work. And it, it wasn't just dirt. The, the other thing is, is the dryness when you're on top mm. of a hill, they drain first. Plus, uh, when you have big mature trees, uh, they suck up a lot of water. So now, now, just, now. just a, a little example, uh, a mature oak tree can, it can suck up six to 700 gallons of water a day in the summertime. Well, that's a lot of water. And that means that whatever's going to be around that is going to be bone dry, basically. 
And uh, so I think that's one of the the questions that I probably get the most, right? And throughout my travels, when I was running the nursery, you get this all the time. I have a lot of shade. I have a lot of trees. You know, what do I plant? And, you know, again, this is one of those at the time when I'm running or I'm working for a nursery and I'm running a nursery, I'm probably giving you a different answer than the answer I'm about to give people, right? right? Where the real answer here is you have to do some pretty major things to really make this work. Yeah. Like there, there, there is not a, a plant that is perfect. Or if the other problem, you'll have a person who wants to put a specific plant that they love right? Like, which is what we're talking about, like with Japanese maples that you love, but they want to put it in the wrong spot. Yeah. Well, again, we got a choice here. Like we, we can have that plant. We can make this happen, but not only because the other thing too, and you mentioned it. So on your hill, it was wooded. So at this point to, to do what you've done, we've removed a lot of trees, a lot of trees, right? A lot of trees. Yeah, acres of trees have been been moved off, cut, cut down, and um, and it takes about two to three years to to clear those mature hardwood trees out, um, and you know get the topsoil in there, get the beds made, get the irrigation uh, ready, and I I use a drip irrigation system, so it's uh, not terribly expensive. But you need something. And I think a lot of people in the South think, oh, we don't need, you know, it rains a lot here. Yeah. We don't need irrigation. But pretty much every year, you're going to run into a drought period. A period. Uh, and, or just a stressful period. Doesn't even have to really be a drought period. But you know, in the, the heat of the summer, you can just have, you know, 10 days without rain and it can stress, uh, you know, mature trees. Um, in fact, this year, uh, a lot of the natives up here on, on my hill, look terrible yes they just are totally beat up from the the stress that we had with lots of 90 degree plus days and we kind of dried out a little bit towards august september you know we kind of got a little dry and uh you know the dogwoods all just the leaves curled up and we lost most of their leaves tulip poplars dropped all their leaves uh so yeah so you know you have to uh be aware that you're gonna have to meet the needs of that plant no matter when it is. That's it. And if you don't, then your plant's probably going to die well, it, uh, or it won't do well. And, and this gets back to the, 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 the problem that when you look at a plant and you go, sun, shade, well, it's like dahlias. You know, I know that when dahlias say full sun, oh, they mean it. They, right? mean, they it. mean full sun all day, every day, every minute. They would take as much of it as you can get. Now, what's also sort of interesting, Doug setting for Japanese maples, his biggest obstacle he was able to overcome, which was soil. Yep. Like that was huge. The secondary thing that has also, I think you would agree, has helped you though some, is you have this overstory yeah. of huge native trees, yeah. which also gives you like we would call like dappled light or the classic Japanese maple description. Yeah is morning sun, afternoon, afternoon shade, shade, right? Like every Japanese maple, you'll, you'll go to a garden. Trust me, you can do this. It would be fun. You should all do this. Then go on Instagram, take a picture, DM me. If you flip a Japanese maple tag, any kind of nursery hang tag, 
That's what it's going to say. Morning sun, afternoon shade. Morning sun, afternoon shade. But you had some of that here. I had some of that. Um, one thing I did do, so, uh, of course, the this forest that I'm in was just raw forest, uh, completely unmanaged. Um, uh, over time, what I had to do over time, and I didn't have to do this right away, but um, as as I planted trees and as they started to grow, uh, it became very apparent that I needed to lift the canopy uh, of the forest that was around my beds. And what that means is that uh, you cut off the lower limbs of the trees so that more light and air gets in and it's not so dense. Uh, but you can't do that like all at once. No. So uh, on, on mature trees, uh, if you go in and just whack all these limbs off, um, the tree is going to retaliate. Number one is going to think that it needs to push out a lot of sucker growth, um, uh, wild, crazy growth to compensate for losing all that uh, that canopy because that's where it makes its food is on those uh, those limbs that you just cut off. And the other thing that it does is it opens up the tree for diseases and insects. So I, I have over a period of, you know, the last eight to 10 years, I have very carefully and very slowly uh, raised the canopy. So on a big tree, I might cut off one or two limbs, lower limbs, to raise that canopy up. And then I'd wait a couple years. And then maybe two or three years later, I cut off one or two more limbs, you know. And we're talking, you know, good-sized limbs, you know, four, six, eight-inch limbs. Um, and by doing it very slowly, that you don't get the, the reaction from the plant from the tree um, where it overreacts. And also it allows the, the tree to heal up between uh, those, uh, those prunings. Uh, and you have to prune it right. You know, there's a right yeah. way to prune and wrong way. So I won't get into all that. But that was the other thing that I did that I think kind of brings me to the state that, I, that I'm at now where I have a fairly mature garden. Uh, I have a lot of uh, really nice specimen Japanese maples. And they're living very happily in uh, in my dappled shade here, you know? Well, the other thing I should mention, <laughs> at the time that Doug and I start doing this, right? Yeah. These message boards, right? We're still on those a little bit as we're, we're building. The message boards are still there. The people may have gotten a little crankier as the time went on. I will say that. You could tell, you know, I don't know people's personal situations, but after the housing market crash and things like that. <laughs> the conifer board, especially. Yes. That, that one was amazing. Yes. Was like, whoa. Pe people got a little, you know, maybe a little, you know, a little <laughs> aggro, a little salty. Um, I think the thing that also a lot of the the people on these these forums were a little bit like, what are you people doing? Like, I remember specifically, I had a post that I put up sharing like some of the expansion stuff that I had done building out the gardens. And people were like, are you prepared for all of this work? Dot, 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 dot. Like your, your mom was scolding you, yeah. you know? I mean, maybe not my mom. She'd be yelling and screaming and the police would show up probably if it was mine. But in a general sense, your mom was yelling at you for something. And I, I remembered just at the time, going you know this was before the phrase you know you do you but why do you care yeah you know like if i'm spending 
my entire life's worth on this project and I'm going to file for bankruptcy protection two weeks after it fails. Well, you know, it's a me problem. It's not really a you problem. But it was interesting to see some of that cynicism and sort of skepticism, you know, and maybe, maybe we'll throw the jealousy word in there just a tad, yeah. Doug, because you and I also, I think we're, um, we were so fast yeah, in well, the we, growth of what we were doing. Yeah. We, we hit the ground running with the collector. Kind yes. Of thing, yes. Know, we and, really did. And then when I, I started running the nursery, we had access to, to more, to bigger stuff. Yeah. So tractor that trailer loads, tra- stuff. literal tractor trailer <laughs> loads are coming in, right? And we're we're just we've got this huge force behind it, you know, of just this thing is building and building and building and building. Did you feel any of that? Ask in two ways. Did you feel any of that online at all, or was that relatively supportive? Where I know you had one, if I remember, there was one uh, exchange you had with somebody on one of those boards. It was negative, and then uh, in your personal world. Was there any of that, like, you know, this, like, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. Do we need to get you to a therapist? (laughs) You know, even though it may be $200 an hour and maybe they just didn't do the math, you know, Um, did you have any of that? People trying to, you know, sort of say, hey, what's going on? Or on the forum side of it, hey, what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing or what you're doing isn't going to work. Well, on the forum side of it, uh, there, there were people that were um, definitely dogmatic, you know, when, when you would tell them that you were doing something a certain way or you give certain advice. There's some people that would just kind of jump on that and say, oh, you know, you can't do it that way. You need to do it like this. And it's like, well, really, you need to uh, try it. You need to experiment and figure out what works for you. Um, every garden is different. Every location is different. The plant mix that you have is probably going to be different. And some things work really good and some things don't, you know. And I've tried... Lots of different uh, methods of growing. Um, you know, um, I have a lot of things in pots. I have yeah. patios with pots just all over the place with growing Japanese maples. There's things I've done that have been great. And then there's things like this last year that um, I wasn't really watching, but turned out to be kind of catastrophic, um, where we had a lot of freezing weather and we had a lot of rain which kind of filled up the pots and made them like little bathtubs and kind of drowned the plants and sometimes you don't just don't catch that you know you kind of have to go through that and you're like oh my gosh i need to actually kind of <laughs> look at that a little more maybe i need to go out and uh do some drainage work on these pots make sure that can't happen again but uh yeah so you know some of the online stuff was a little bit abrasive and a little bit dogmatic but in general i think especially on the maple form i think it was very positive um, I think, uh, people were supportive and I don't think anybody really thought I was crazy. I think they were like, oh yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I wish I could do that. You know, uh, maybe I'd try that. Um, my, uh, uh, as far as friends and stuff goes, uh, most of them actually, and this is kind of maybe, uh, uh, maybe this is sad, but maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's just reality, but mm. I, I think I ha- I've had people coming over to my house. And they didn't even notice mm. that there all this all this work had gone into this stuff, you know. Um, I mean, they were seeing it, but they weren't seeing it. If you know what I'm trying to say, I've had some people come over and go, "Oh my gosh, you know this, all this stuff." They immediately uh, knew uh, that uh, they were seeing something unusual, but uh, 
I've had other people that literally never said a word about it. You know, just didn't even phase them, didn't even enter their brains. One of the, the so. funny questions that I have gotten <laughs> this year, which has cracked me up, and this is along these exact same lines, is people come out, get out of their car, I'll introduce myself, and then they'll say to me, do you live here? <laughs> and I go, uh, yes, yeah. yes, I do. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've, I think the thing that also has happened and, and you mentioned, you know, the garden has, your garden has matured. And one of the, the great things about our relationship has been, we literally started doing it like calendar date for calendar date, almost, you know, 35 minutes apart from each other, completely different settings, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. but we're, we're, we're sort of at, you know, slightly different, you know, places as far as like in the last year, me taking it towards, you know, doing, you know, cut flowers, but the gardens have matured on the same timeline. So have you, have you noticed that change at all? Like some of those people you mentioned, have they come back and now are they still a little bit like, or are they still completely out of it? Like they're still not even no, like. I, I have a mix. I have some that are still completely out of it. And I have some that have kind of remembered it. And I, I mean, I have some people that have come over that they just want to come over so they can walk around the garden, you know. Uh, and that's kind of kind of nice. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think for the most part, uh, people appreciate it, you know, and is seeing it mature. You know, when the plants mature, they're harder to miss. Uh, especially if they catch it in a season like the fall or the or the spring where it's really popping out and it's just kind of amazing um you can kind of get an idea when you post things online mm. you know the kind of reactions it generates in people where they think that's pretty amazing so i have other plants that i planted in addition to the japanese maples that are getting pretty big like uh, azaleas and rhododendrons that come out in the spring uh, and then you kind of couple that with the dogwoods, some of the natives that I've got. Uh, spring is pretty spectacular, you know, when, when that really gets underway. And I've, I've got thousands of uh, daffodils that I planted up here. Yeah. There's another thing that I just kind of started collecting. Um, and uh, I'd always like uh, flower bulbs, but um, I, I started experimenting with them when I came up here. And uh, being out in the woods, you have lots of critters. And you learn really fast that tulips are like candy to critters, especially deer. Uh, the deer ripped them out of the grounds and ate the bulbs and the mice ate the bulbs. And, uh, but I, I latched on to daffodils. Daffodils are poisonous. Uh, every part of them are, is poisonous. And uh, the, uh, it's not a native. And so, and so the animals... Uh, you know, haven't developed some sort of an immunity to the poisonous aspect of, of the daffodils. So um, I, I have gazillions of daffodils up here. So you combine all that together in the spring. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. So, so let me project something on you. Okay. But let me also get, get, get your esoteric answer here. Okay. If no one would have ever noticed it, what you've done here, would you still have been okay with it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I think that's the respect. Because it's, it's my garden. You know, it's it. part of me. It's kind of an extension of me. Uh, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. You know, I can go out in the morning and walk around or in the evening and walk through the garden. 
and appreciate all the stuff that I've done. And, and you know, it still uh, gives me a lot of satisfaction. I, I think it's one of, one of the things that people are missing in it, you know, as a, as a hobby. You know, and some of the, 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 the pragmatic information that, you know, I give to people. I, I don't want to be like this complete, like, let me lay some reality on you kids right. about the difficulties of it. Because in reality, my approach to it is, I think it's like the most magical thing that you can do. There, there's really nothing else, you, you know, in life that gets better, like we mentioned earlier, but it has these like moments that the light hits it. Oh, yeah. And if you're in any way a person, you know, and one of the the great things about I think what um, I'm attempting to do is I think we're reaching a group of people that a lot of this is completely new to. That if you are a creative person, it's perfect for you because you just won't. If you like design, if you like style, there are moments that happen in the natural world that you can create in your garden that nothing will come close to. Yeah. When the light hits the the chartreuse color of some of the Japanese maple leaves at certain times in the spring, there's just nothing yeah. else that, yeah. that does that. So you have to really approach it. I think with that as your foot forward, the foot forward can't be the, the for-profit foot forward. The foot forward can't be the practical thing. The natives, oh, because these are lower maintenance. All of that yeah. is going to lead you to nothing. That's where you're going to end up. But if you go for it saying, I want to make beautiful magic moments for my eyeballs, now you're going to head somewhere. Yeah. Now that you can accomplish, you can get that out of it. And the more you put into it, the more of those moments you'll get back from it. And Doug's garden is, to me, a real achievement of, of like two things. Number one, just not giving a shit, right? Like you're just going to do it. You're going to make this thing, you're going to overcome the soil solution. You're going to overcome critters. You're going to go daffodils, right? It's not about what you can't do. It's what you can do. And then what I can do to make that better is what you've accomplished here to me. The thing that, that we didn't touch on that we should, and we're going to get to the number too. <laughs> Because we still haven't even hit the number, Doug. The yeah, last the number, number we gave was like 200-ish. <laughs> and let me tell you, folks, we're well above 200-ish at this stage of the game. You came from, though, your grandmother specifically, yeah. and knowing you, she was like an, an avid, passionate gardener. Would you say she was, yeah. was not as like, because there was an older agriculture a little bit and like home gardens even had more of a lean sometimes towards practical, like a kitchen garden, essentially. Yeah. Was she a little less practical about it? Like she grew things just for like beauty, oh, yeah. essentially? Oh, yeah, she she did. And and um, I think it's kind of, you know, uh, rural America and her, you know, she's my grandmother was born in 1900. So um, uh, back then. Yeah, you had kitchen gardens. You had chickens in the backyard. But she had ornamentals that she loved, and uh, especially roses. Uh, she loved roses, and she had rose gardens. And uh, and she grew daffodils, too, you know, and uh, all kinds of plants. And when I was a little kid, I'd go, you know, she'd you go to Grandma's house. Well, you you know, she made you go work, you know. 
come out and help her in the garden. So I'd go out there. So I got a taste of that growing up. And my mom gardened. Um, you know, she had a big vegetable garden. But I, I think it was, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of one of those things that gets instilled in you when you see um, that it, it, you know, there's some work involved. But there's just also this enjoyment, you know. And nothing made my grandmother happier than to be able to cut a big bouquet of roses and bring them in and put them in a mason jar on the table, you know. And you just have that beautiful scent, you know. And 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 she would, uh, you know, uh, the peace rose came out. She had mm. to have a peace, you know. She, she'd look at these rose catalogs. And so I guess I come by it somewhat naturally in a way. Yeah. And it's kind of inbred into me in, in some way. But, um, but yeah, it's... Uh, um, the 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 pleasure and the enjoyment that you get is is the main thing, and and I, I think also just the uh, uh, just learning that a garden is a work in progress, it's a living thing. There's always going to be something changing and evolving in it. Some there's going to be things that you have to address, you know, and then there's going to be things that are going to be happy surprises or things that you get to step back and really enjoy. But it's, it's the, the whole process is a package deal, you know, it's a package deal. You, you know, the, you and I have talked about this before, the history of gardening, that originally a lot of the gardens were called pleasure gardens. Pleasure gardens. Yeah. And unfortunately, somewhere, you know, after World War I, it feels like we just lost that word, pleasure gardens. They yeah. became a lean, a little bit more practical, and some of that was necessity. You know, the British lost a lot of gardens, actually, were, were actually converted yeah. from pleasure garden to edible garden to actually grow food during the war efforts in, right. in both times. Right. Um, so that changed the landscape of it. And in this country, we were a little more practical, you know, with our approach to agriculture and horticulture in general. But if you can get in touch with that, that pleasure word for you, I think that's when for you, it was Osakazuki next to the rock. That yeah. was the moment, right? That brought you pleasure. You know, for me, I think it was, um, I have this fascination with light on foliage, whatever that is. I was thinking about it today. And the same even with the flowers, honestly. Like one of the reasons why, don't tell anybody, people, that I actually sometimes favor roses over dahlias is I think the way the rose is shaped allows the light to sort of caress it and sculpt it a little bit more. The dahlias are a little more right angly. So for me, I mm -hmm. like the, the way light just sort of lays over things and the shadows that it creates. So that's for me, you know, my thing. So if you can find that as an individual, that thing, that visual, that moment, that imagery that brings you that pleasure, you should be, that, that's it. Keep feeding that, feeding that. Forget the practical thing. The yeah. practical thing is not going to lead you towards that at all. I'll say it, Doug, because I don't sell boxwoods anymore. There was a moment where I was selling some boxwoods. Now I'm not. No one's ever said this about a boxwood. No one's ever said it. No one's ever been like, oh, look at the way that boxwood looks today. Yeah. It's a green yeah. thing with a shape to it. It's got some right angles. Maybe you prune it. Maybe do the cool eight, the cool uh, European cloud prune of the huge boxwood row. Sure. I get you. But in its natural state, then quite do the same thing. So I think the takeaway from our experience in knowing each other is 
to stick with this because we've clearly stuck with it. It's got to be the pleasure thing. You got to put that word into what you're doing with plants. So if I didn't have, because now we're going to get the number, Doug. (laughs) We're getting the number because the numbers are going to lead me to the questions. What's the number, Doug? Um, well, I can't, I can't be absolutely positive, Just but, range us. but I think it's about 510. Okay. So if I have <laughs> the person who owns 510 Japanese maple sitting across from me, I have to, on the record, get at least two questions asked of you. Okay. And these are the obvious ones, right? These are the ones where I'm clearly like every other person who's ever done anything like this with anybody in this type of position, Doug. Number one, what's your favorite Japanese maple, Doug? And, you know, um, it depends on the time of year and what I just saw in the garden, really. But there are some perennial favorites. And uh, I think uh, Shishigashira is one of them. Um, That's called the lion's head maple or the lion's mane maple. And uh, uh, it's very unique. Um, I think Yamakagi. Is one. It's a japonicum. It's a subspecies. Uh, huge, uh, unusual leaves. Gorgeous fall color. Um, uh, I think uh, one of my favorites right now is summer gold. I really like that. Uh, you know, used to like uh, um, the, the 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 golden full moon maple a lot. A uh, little slower and in some ways more persnickety. Uh, I think uh, summer gold is like an improvement on that, you know, uh, which I never thought I would yeah. be saying, but I actually really like summer gold. That's, that's I've th- grafted a lot of them recently, you know, because I, I really like the summer gold. That's so. one of the things Doug and I have talked about that at the beginning of this, you get into it because you see these pictures, you know, online that you're just like, you have this romance with yeah. and you just can't wait to get them. And now we've grown them for seven, eight, nine years in some cases. And we're like, yeah, the thing wasn't that good, honestly. It's not even yeah. that great. And then you have some that you were sort of like, eh, maybe, maybe not, sort of maybe, you know, indifferent to, that yeah. it actually turned out to be like awesome trees that yeah. you love. And, and, and even certain categories. So when I first got into it, you know, there's different subspecies of, uh, in the Japanese maple family, um, uh, Acer palmatum is the main family, the scientific name of the family. And then you have uh, Shearswanum, that's one. Circinatum, that's another one. And Japonicum, that's another one. And then there's a few others. And uh, I I actually, uh, when I started out, I didn't have much regard for this, these other subspecies. Uh, Palmatum is the biggest group. It's the most popular group. And I was really focused on that. But now that I've actually grown a lot of these, the, and I mentioned this to you today, the Japonicum group is a completely underrated group. Um, absolutely spectacular fall color. So, we, you know, we've had kind of a rough year on the natives. Uh, even some of my regular palmatum, uh, Acer palmatums, some of them are looking a little rough this year. They got a little beat up by the weather. Uh, the Japonicums are just stunning. And... I've seen that now year after year after year. They're just consistently stunning. So I would have to say that whole group, uh, you know, is probably, you know, my favorite group now. So here's what you do. You could hashtag 
I guess your Japonic on Instagram. You find like 12 pictures, probably. That'll be boring. But then go to Google and just do Acer Japonicum. Yeah. And just 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 stare, people. Just stare. You know, I'm more than happy to, if you ever need anything, I'll, I'll indulge. I, I mean, Doug and I have enabled each other. The least I can do for future generations <laughs> is do right. the same, Doug. Support people in their future journeys with it. So here's the other last question. Number one practical tip for people to grow Japanese maples? Um, uh, soil. Give them the right soil. They need to have good drainage. If they don't get good drainage, it'll eventually catch up to the plant. So whether it's in a pot, like I learned sadly this past winter, or whether you've got a yard full of clay like I have, you've got to give them drainage. And I have them that are in full sun. Steve, you have them that are in full sun. I have them that are in full shade. You know? Um, you can find one that will work in either location. But if you try to put one in poor soil, poorly draining soil, um, it's not going to last. You're going to be disappointed. The maple's going to tell you that eventually. So also, as a close here, yeah. what I would like to do is I'd like to have everyone get together and find 90 more Japanese maples <laughs> that Doug doesn't have to get him to an even number of 600. Now, the challenge is going to be finding 90 more that Doug doesn't have. Like, that's going to be the real push here. So we may all have to get together and trade notes. But yeah. I think what hopefully we're able to accomplish, Doug, is number one, we... I think we share two big things here. Number one, you can have a passion for plants. Yep. Number two, you can meet other people who have the same. And you guys can know each other, build relationship, and then have this thing. But like I said earlier, if there's ever awkward silence. You just go, hey, how Feel like I feel since I lost you. Tell me why is the bluebird blue?